All right, y'all. Welcome back to episode three of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. We're pumped to be here, man, for the third episode. Out here talking sports with my good buddy. Um, I am Kenny Cochran, joined here with my co-host, Jake Hill. Jake Hill! We're bringing y'all another one, man. We, uh, we we got a lot of stuff planned for the future, and we're super excited about the the path of this podcast and what we think we can do with it. So if you're in here in, in the YouTube live stream watching us, uh, we appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube afterwards, be sure to check us out on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And, man, don't forget about the socials. You see right there in the in the graphic on YouTube, our Twitter. Hit us up at Peach State Pod on Twitter. Shoot us a DM. Give us a follow. We love to interact with you guys. and kind of get some feedback and whether you're on Spotify or Apple podcast, be sure to leave us a review, man. We're not asking for five stars. Anything you gives us, give us just kind of makes us better and gives us something to go off of. So we appreciate the feedback and anything you give us. So give us a subscribe on YouTube, a follow on Twitter and uh, check us out on TikTok. We'll be posting clips there as well. So without further ado, let's get into it, man. Jake, what we got for him today. Okay. That was a great introduction, Kitty. That's the first thing I want to say. That was fantastic. Uh, Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. The, uh, we have a couple things going in today. A uh, little bit of Braves recap from the past three games. We're also going to look look forward to the rest of the Mets series. Uh, we're playing right now live. It is 9.50 p.m. Um, so we're playing the Mets right now. Put a nice little uh, manhandling on them. It was a little better earlier, but we'll get to that a little bit later. We're also going to talk about the Hall of Fame game that just took place yesterday. Um, then we're going to get into some college football. We're going to get a little conference championship breakdowns. Then we'll do a little bit of uh, college football playoff predictions. A little bit too early, but, you know, we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. And, uh, Kenny, how about we get this thing started, man? I'm pumped. Football's underway. The Hall of Fame game is here, so we might be early, but I'm itching to talk about it. Oh, yeah, man. I've been I've been pumped up for this. I've been, I don't think I've ever been more pumped up for preseason football than I have been the past couple of days. And it was it, – it settled for a little bit. The first, first half was fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first first couple drives, and that's kind of how it always is, specifically in the Hall of Fame game, because you got to think preseason in general in the NFL, they really don't get dialed in until a little bit later on into it. So the Hall of Fame game, they just kind of throw that out there a little bit early. Feels like we're watching a little bit of XFL, USFL action with the guys we got out there, but nonetheless, it's football, and uh, boy, it sure does. It, you know, I was asking somebody to pinch me last night. I was like, are you serious? Football's back. I'm watching a kickoff on TV right now. Like, dude, it's like it's a dream. Oh, yeah, man. You get a little uh, Jarrett Stidham, Jake Luton quarterback matchup. Uh, what a dream come true. Okay, football talk. I think we're good on the football talk. Let's go ahead and get us a Braves talk. How about that, Kenny? Sounds good with you? Let's do it, man. Uh, Braves. So we're going to go back to Tuesday. We were live on Tuesday, and uh, when we were live, we had talked about it. The Braves were actually putting a manhandling on the Phillies. So it seems like uh, so far the past two times we've done podcasts, the Braves have been winning whenever we're doing podcasts. And then the two days we took off, the Braves got beat. So podcast might be the move. Yeah, we'll just do podcasts every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week from now on until the World Series. Yeah, if it, if it works, it works. You don't stop. Uh, So Tuesday against the Phillies, uh... As you all know, Spencer Strider pitched that game. Man, Spencer Strider has been awesome. The 23-year-old hard-throwing righty came out and gave the Braves six and six and two-thirds innings of one-run ball. He racked up 13 strikeouts. And this is this is his first start, I believe, since uh getting named uh July NL Rookie of the Month. And he has continued to impress. He said after the game that strikeouts aren't his main priority. He just goes up and he tries to get as many outs. He tries to get quick outs, tries to get through as many innings as he can. He's an absolute dog. I mean, and you know, I, I know not to be a to to be pushing a meme here, but he's literally a bulldog. Like 
I know we've got Max Fried on the team who has that kind of that same game plan, that same mentality going to games. But it's like Spencer Strider, dude. He's he's got so much faith in his stuff, and he's got great stuff. And, and you, you know, you kind of look at the breakdown of what he's been doing lately. And obviously, he's the hard throw, and he's throwing ninety nine, one hundred, one hundred one right at you. But dude, he is just he he's got so much faith in himself, and I think the fans of the Braves and really anybody, I mean, obviously in a rookie of the month, people've got faith in him too. And he just goes out there every single time and just chucks balls. And I mean, you know, he's, he's getting whiffs and there's not really much you can do about it. And I'm not trying to be the guy to say he's the next Jacob de Grom, but it really does feel like we're watching baby de Grom out there. Yeah. You see a guy go up there and just can consistently throw triple digits, hit 98, 99 on the clock and at seventh, sixth, seventh inning. It's, it's, it's an insane thing, and you know people always talk about his fastball. His fastball is obviously his main pitch, but he went out against Phillies hitters, and they they swung at 19 of his sliders and whipped on 11 of them. So I mean, the slider—you look at the slider. The slider looks like a plus pitch too for him. And it really feels like the batters he faces have a hard time differentiating between the two because when you see that hard fastball coming in, it doesn't matter where that slider is. It can be you know coming front door, back door. He can throw that thing in the dirt. When it's coming at you with that velocity and just that dude standing out there on the mound sending balls at you for six and two-thirds inning on any given night and striking people out like he does, it really just seems like people have a hard time picking him up. And that's the thing about pitchers, too. You know, like batters, they'll get on hot streaks, cold streaks throughout the season, no matter who you are. You can be the upper echelon or just the average, you know, player out there. But pitchers, they seem to only get better. And it's kind of crazy to think that we're getting this out of a rookie, out of a guy this young, but I think he's the real deal. Yeah, man, he's definitely the real deal. He even, he even features that circle change every once in a while. And it's even it's crazy because even when he wants to throw the circle change, it still seems like he could use it as like a plus pitch, like a get get out pitch. Like he, everything in his arsenal right now seems like it it just it can get any major league batter out and he's only 23 man he's he's has a long way to go if he can stay healthy and you know pitch a lot of innings i know everybody has the concern with his uh inning limit which obviously i know uh alex anthopoulos came out and said the braves don't do inning limits you know you pitch a guy whenever he's ready and then you take him out whenever he's done you know it's that simple so seeing strider make it this you know this far in the season with this much success i mean he's definitely the favorite for nl rookie of the year and i, I expect him to continue it Absolutely, and this Michael Harris goes on some crazy streaks in the year. You know, I know we've got what two months of baseball left, maybe yep. a little bit less. So, and 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 I think Michael Harris is seriously, and it's crazy to think that it's two Braves, but he's legitimately the biggest threat to Strider as the NL Rookie of the Year. And and at this point, I give Strider the edge for sure because the dude just seems like he's getting better. I mean, outing after outing, week after week, he just comes out there and absolutely deals. Yeah, and like with with Strider, you could make the argument right now that Strider's the number one starter on the staff. I mean, Freed is always amazing, but these last couple starts, Striders came out and throw him in. There's not there's not a really a pitcher that has that can compete with. I mean, we mentioned on the last podcast a one fifty eight opponent batting average in July. That's not something that you see. Like that was numbers that only only Tony Gonsolin was putting up, and even the stuff he has is nowhere near the stuff that Strider has. Seriously, dude. I mean, he's he legit he, he legitimately has the highest K per nine of any rookie ever in MLB history, and that's I think number one before him is. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Steven Strasburg. That may that might be right. I know Strasburg in those early years was was absolutely insane. Uh, so to keep up with the Braves game, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the Braves were on fire that night. We put up 13 runs with five of them coming against Philly reliever Corey Knebel. Um, Swanson went three for four. Ozuna went three for five with a homer and a double to go with two RBIs. It was nice to see him start swinging the bat good. And Arcia hit a homer. 
But the offensive star of the night was definitely Mr. Eddie Rosario. He went three for five and provided five RBIs for the Braves offense. The Braves went on to win that game 13 to one. Dude, and it's it feels like it's such a breath of relief for Braves fans and just anybody that's a Rosario fan because how could you not be? I mean, this dude is so likable. He came out there last year in the postseason and really just came into his own and kind of took the reins um, for the Braves. And, and it you know, coming off that injury, that crazy situation with his eye early on in the season, we were super disappointed and, and we were kind of at the at the point to where is are we going to see the Eddie that we had last year? Are we ever going to get back to that guy? And dude, he is just absolutely heated up here lately. And if you're watching the stream right now, you know we're playing right now against the Mets and um, it, he hasn't changed at all. The dude is still out there hitting the ball all around. He hasn't cooled off a bit. So man, does it feel good to see Eddie get back in there? To me, Eddie's almost like he's kind of Hunter Pence-like. Like, everything it looks like he does on the field is uncoordinated and unathletic, but he somehow makes it work. Like, whenever he swings the bat, he has that little weird batting stance. He's up there, and he just, like, break, breaks the ball into the chop house. Like, Eddie's yeah, a dude, definitely he, a fun player to watch. And he's another one of those guys where even, like, he can just put the barrel on the ball. Like, it, his swing, and I don't want to say it's inconsistent. The dude's obviously, you know, an amazing baseball player. I mean, oh, he's yeah. an MLB. He's an MLB star. He he's playing in the big leagues right now, and absolutely playing. You know, some of the best ball he's ever played at the current moment. But even his swings that don't look like he's got everything into it, like you saw one earlier tonight against the Mets. Like he sticks the ball out there, or sticks the bat out there, and just barrels one up and sends it over the right field wall for a homer. And it's like, dude, that I, I watching the game live was like, there's no way that ball gets out, and it just leaves. So. I mean, it, he's kind of like one of those guys right now where everything he touches turns into gold. And boy, if he can keep that up or just e even at a fraction, man, yeah, I think Brace fans are going to be super pleased with this dude. Yeah, he's he's got sneaky power. You know, he has that little uncoordinated swing, and all of a sudden he'll blast one 440 on you. Let's go to uh, let's go to Wednesday. The Braves also played the Phillies Wednesday. Um, we had they had Zach Wheeler on the mound, so we knew that somebody was got to come up big, and that man was Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton came out and pitched, you know, neck and neck with Zach Wheeler the whole game. Morton went six and two thirds scoreless. He only allowed three hits, a walk, and had eight strikeouts. He left the game with a one run lead, but Wheeler was awesome too. Wheeler pitched seven innings, only gave up five hits. He gave up one run though, and uh, seven strikeouts. The one run he gave up was uh to Orlando Arcia. Orla Orlando uh hit a second home run in two nights, so he had a home run first in the. In the Tuesday game, he had the home run. In the Wednesday game, Orlando man, he, he had that he had that cold stretch, but it seems like the bat's starting to come back alive a little bit, and it's it's been good to see. I like Orlando. You see him put a charge into a ball, you can hit one a long way. Dude, Orlando, he's a really good player. A lot of people forget about him as a prospect and how high, highly touted he was and high ranked he was. But I mean, he's been kind of a and I don't want to say a staple, but kind of a, a constant in this Braves lineup here recently to where. When Ozzy went down with injury, a lot of people were clamoring to bring in another second baseman. And, you know, it just wasn't really in the cards at the time. And you saw the whole stint with Robinson Cano and all that went down. And then you saw the rumors at the trade deadline. But you talk about a guy stepping in and just being that kind of constant second baseman, fielding-wise, batting-wise, that we needed. And even with the cold streak, like, you can't really ask for much better from a fill-in guy when you have a an all-star player like Ozzy Albies go down. Not at all, man. He came in. He didn't try to be Ozzy. He didn't try to be McNeil. He didn't try to be any of the great second basemen of baseball. He just tried to be Eddie Rosario. I mean, in a lineup like this that has this much thump, that's all you need. He goes out there every day. He can put, like I said, he can put charge into the ball at any given moment, and he plays great defense at second. Like, I mean, 
there's definitely better options out there, but in an aspect where you're looking at Ozzy coming back in September, you, you don't really have to go out and get that. You're fine with a guy like Orlando playing second for, you know, the next four to six weeks, whatever it is. Right, and if he keeps it up like this, it really gives you the ability to be a little bit more cautious and a little bit more patient with Ozzy's injury because we touched on it in past podcasts, but foot injuries are just kind of weird, especially when you see a non-contact one like Ozzy had. So, um, you know, we definitely don't want to push that guy and rush that guy to get back into the lineup before he's ready. So having a, a consistent bat, a consistent fielder, a guy like Orlando RC in there, it really gives you that flexibility and that comfort to be able to say, okay, Ozzy, you know, let us know when you're ready. Let's get this rehab going and get you back to, to peak form before we make this postseason run. Yeah, so Orlando had a good night. Charlie Morton had a good night. But the bullpen, the bullpen did not have its best night. Dylan Lee came in the seventh to finish out the uh, seventh inning for Morton after he pitched six and two-thirds. He walked Reese Hoskins with one out in the eighth. But uh, Snip pulled him and put Colin McHugh in the game uh, to face the middle of the Phillies lineup, and it did not go as planned. McHugh gave up a single to Alec Bowman, got Hoskins the third. Then Rio Muto hit a ground ball, and he ran out the double play. Then Hoskins scores. Then all of a sudden, Mr. Nicholas Castellanos, Mr. Bad News. Anytime there's bad news out there, uh, Nicholas Castellanos loves to come up and just hit taters. And, you know, RIP Vince Scully. It's a, it's a terrible loss, but everybody was making the joke that Nick Castellanos went like 150 at-bats without hitting a home run. Then the day Vince Scully dies, he just blasted one. So, I, I'm not I'm not one to... <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a messed up joke but it happened uh McHugh hung him a slider he, he parked it in the stands just like you know the normal Nick Cast Castellanos would and uh you know the Braves bats couldn't wake up and the Phillies ended up winning that game three to one you know the one through four hitters went a combined two for 15 with five strikeouts it's kind of hard to win any game whenever you have you know your Swansons your Rileys your Olsons your Cunhas going like that and, you know, it seems like Charlie Morton, his last couple of outings, you know, he's he's given the Braves pretty good ball. I know he had a pretty shaky outing. I think it was last outing, maybe. Well, two outings ago now we're talking about it. But, uh, you know, he's he's definitely came back from the beginning of the season. It seems like he still can't get that win total up. I think he has, like, six wins, which is, like, three less than Ian Anderson does on the season. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because, you know, you never want to sit here and just be a complete homer and say that we're just going to write things off. But, you know, I mean, I'm going to do it. We're going to write it off. I mean, Dylan Lee and Colin McHugh, dude, they've been so solid all year long. Oh, yeah. It really just seemed like kind of an atypical outing for them where they come out there and, and, and you know, don't do as well as we're accustomed to seeing. And, you know, it's unfortunate. It's bad timing or whatever when we're getting into this in at least race and, and you need to pick up as many games as you can and take advantage of – of when you're facing, you know, a division rival like the Phillies. So it was bad timing, and I know it got a lot of people down. But don't don't hang your head too much, Dylan Lee and Colin McHugh. We still got your backs, and uh, you guys have been great all year. So, um, you know, we're, we'll, we'll get past it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think, I, think, uh, I think being a relief pitcher in Major League Baseball has to be one of the hardest things to do because you look at the, you look at the bullpen stats for the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves have, I think it's a top three bullpen in almost every single category. And it still seems like you go on social media, you go on Twitter after we give up two runs in the bullpen, everybody's saying, oh, the Braves bullpen's terrible. Like, I mean, you look at it, I think it's just a fan base to fan base thing. It's like whenever your offensive line gives up a sack, you notice all the negatives, but you don't, it's like you barely ever notice the positives. Like, like you can give up one sack in a whole game. You're like, oh man, he sucks. But it's just a part of the game, man. It, you, it's hard to pitch perfect every time. And I feel like that's relievers, what relievers are expected to do. It really is, too. And you got to think from a reliever perspective, you get such a small sample size with these dudes because they're not out here pitching six innings a game. So when you see them, 
and they have the off days. You, you see the off days in, a, in such a short stint, in such a short window. It makes you feel like, oh, this guy sucks. This guy's trash. Why are we even putting him out there? Like, it, it, it really, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation for those guys because Definitely. if they come out there and, and they do well, it's like, okay, well, you only came out there for an inning. You pitched, what, 15 pitches and did well? Like, what are we supposed to do, give you a cookie? And then they come out there and give up some runs, and they get negative negative treatment as well. So it's it's a lose-lose, and being a reliever for sure has got to be tough. So when you see a guy like Dylan Lee and Colin McHugh who have been great all season long, it's like, come on, man. Like, let's not forget how they've been in the past. Let's not just take this one outing for each of them. And, and like I said, it was bad timing, but you got to get past it at some point. And when you look at the Braves' bullpen as a whole and think about how good they're playing and how good they have been playing all season, like you said, top three and, and everything from, from ceiling to floor. And then you talk about bringing in a guy like Rossiello Iglesias and a guy like Kirby Yates coming back. Like uh, We're not going to do anything but get better, and that is a great feeling, especially when you consider coming off the World Series the World Series season, the World Series championship, and then going into another season where we're, you know, right there in the battle for the NL East. And obviously in the postseason race, we've got a pretty good handle on that. So when you're trying to repeat, when you're trying to stay in contention year after year, you have to have, you know, areas of your team to where you're, you know, you're you're a little bit higher than the rest of the group. And, and the bullpen is, has been that kind of consistent area for us. So it's a, it's a great thing, and it's very optimistic when you think about the guys we have coming in uh, to close the year out. Yeah, definitely. And it, I mean, to be honest, at least it wasn't the worst loss in the past two days. Because the worst yeah. loss in the past two days came yesterday against the Mets. So the Atlanta Braves took our trip. We uh, went from Atlanta to New York, and it seemed like the New York Mets offense just came right out the gate swinging the bats. They put up five runs in the first three innings against Kyle Wright. Pete Alonso had three RBIs and a home run by the third inning, so he, he was going crazy. Naquin and Vogelbeck, they also provided solo shots to give, give the five runs. Uh... You know, and it's messed up, too, because I didn't even think Kyle looked too off. It was just the Mets were just they were just swinging sticks, man. They were they were putting the ball in the stand. So, yeah, absolutely. And you saw you saw Rick come out there and kind of talk to him for a little bit. And it was it was I think it was after the back to back homer because was it Alonzo and then um, Vogelback that went back to back? I think is that what I it believe was? so. I believe so. Yeah, you saw Rick go out there to the mound and talk with him, and Dansby came in, and they all kind of met. And you could just, you know, obviously you can't see what they're saying. They're covering their mouths. The camera's not to him. But you could see Kyle Wright standing up there on the mound looking at him. He's like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And at that point, unfortunately, in the MLB, especially when you're in this five-game series where you can't afford to deplete the bullpen, you know, you want to stay in the game. You want to make a run at it. But at that point, you're really just looking for Kyle Wright to eat up as much time as you can, come in there, pitch as much as you can, eat up as many innings as you can, keep us fresh so that we can just come in, focus on the rest of the season, or for the rest of the series, I should say. And the dude did it. I mean, he yeah. struggled on. He struggled early on and then came in and, and gave us some decent ball and, and really carried us through that so that we didn't have to worry about who we're going to send out there and deplete the bullpen, the bullpen early on. So... That was good to see, and obviously we weren't live yesterday. We weren't talking about it as it was happening, but I was talking to you all fair like we always do, and it just feels like every time we play the Mets, they hit these dink and dunk singles, these infield singles. They're running balls out. They're getting lucky. They're just you know swinging bunts everywhere, and they did that early on, and I actually said something to you about it. I was mm -hmm. like, it feels like the Mets get the luckiest hits every time they play us because we go out there we're mashing balls with crazy exit velo that just 
you know, we can't get on base with them. We're hitting line drives straight to the second baseman, 115 mile an hour. And then you see the Mets come out there and dink and dunk. And then as soon as I said it, those boys started raking. You know, it's funny. You go against a lineup that has guys like Jeff McNeil and Starling Marte and Francisco Lindor. There are just so many pesky hitters in that lineup that are just so hard to get out. Like, they're going to fight off pitches. They're tough to strike out. And then all of a sudden, an eight-pitch at-bat turns into a bloop single into right field. I mean, that's just what you get with those guys. And that, that's where I have credit, you know, Steve Cohen and the Mets front office, all those guys that put that team together this year, went out and spent some money. I mean, it's paying off for me. I'm, I still think the Braves are going to win this division. I'm confident the Braves are going to win this division. But no matter 100%. what, no matter what, the Mets are still going to be a top, top-tiered team in this playoff race. Like, the Mets are Braves, Dodgers, Padres caliber. Like, they are up there at the top echelon of the National League. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened if they decided not to spend as much money as they did this offseason. So credit, credit to that new ownership, man. He went in there and he got it done. Absolutely. And, and you know, we got... I don't want to say lucky, but fortunate at least, because I was a little bit concerned at the trade deadline because, you know, seeing Cohen and how he's operated, he's not afraid to spend money. He's no, not, not afraid to go out there. So I was, man, I was almost ready to lock in the 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 uh, Wilson Contreras to the Mets thing that everyone was talking about, and that was going to be scary. So the fact that they didn't really make those moves that we expected, boy, did that feel good. So, you know, that gives you a little bit of a little bit of upside going into the rest of the series and the rest of the season as a whole. So. Um, and obviously the Braves made a couple moves as well that we went over, but you know, it, it feels good. I'm still optimistic about it. You know, a game like last night obviously is pretty demoralizing and facing the Mets in general, like you said, with the pesky hitters, especially e even when you're with your top tier pitching, you know, you go in there and you you feel like we've got a good handle on the game. We're playing good defense. We're hitting the ball decently. And then you look up in the fourth inning and we're at 90 pitches and it's like, Oh my gosh, these dudes foul everything off. They hit balls that are just these weak dribblers down the left field line, and, and, and they do it every single game. These dudes are pesky, and that's the perfect word to describe them. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we're talking about how they got a five-run lead. At that point, a lot of Braves fans, including myself, felt like the game was out of hand. It's over. It's three innings into the game, and you have a five-run deficit, and you don't know how much more runs we're going to give up. But then, all of a sudden, in the fifth, uh, I believe it was the fifth, Kyle, I mean, Mike, Mike Harris, you know, Michael Harris, the guy we were talking about earlier, Potential rookie of the year drove in Travis Darno with the RBI single. And then Ronnie came up. And Ronnie blasted one to center field and broke that long home of the street that has been has lasted since early July, I believe. Almost like a month long without a home run. I never thought I would say of his career. Yeah, Ronald Acuna going a month without a home run. That is that is insane. That the home run kept the deficit down Crazy. to two. And uh then Tyler Naquin came back up and hit his second home run off Kyle Wright. Made the yeah, game. But oh, go ahead, go ahead. Got I was going to say to take a positive from it, obviously it didn't come away with the win, but you, you're trying to look for positives in a situation like that, like we always say. So to take a positive from it, you bring Ronnie in, dude gets heated up, he gets fired up. And, uh, you know, it seems like the whole squad's just kind of humming off of that right now when we go into a game like tonight where we're smacking the ball all around, put up eight runs already. And, um, man, it, it feels good. You, we talked about Dady Rosario heating up, and he's kept it up. So to see Ronnie come into his own and everybody's kind of hitting a little bit better right now, it feels good, and and you know it, it's the right time because this I don't want to I don't want to say it's a must win series, but it really does feel like you know pl playoff baseball in August, and uh, especially when you're playing a team like the Mets, to where regardless of the NL East standings, they are a World Series caliber team, a World Series caliber roster, and the Braves, you know, most definitely are, obviously with the with the World Series championship last year, so. Man, it feels good. I'm glad to have the boys out there buzzing, and, and hopefully we can carry that through the rest of the season.
or the series, I should say. Yeah, I was uh looking at the rest of the series. Let's finish up this recap, and then we'll get into that the the series outlook, and I'll talk to you my about my thoughts before today's game because you know we really can't cover today's game very well because it's you know in the middle of it. Uh, so Naquin Naquin hit the home run. Uh, that made the game. I think it was what six to three, six to three at that point, or six to five. I don't know. Uh, something like that. Yeah, uh, Harris had another RBI single that drove an RC in the seventh. The Mets went with their all-star closer, Edwin Diaz. We're talking about crazy pitchers, man. I cannot say enough about Edwin Diaz. I, I, I could never see him pitch against the Braves again, and I would be so happy. Like, I think him right now over anybody else in baseball that I would not want to see the Braves face because I think, honestly, he is the most unhittable reliever in baseball. You you just can't touch the guy. They put, they put him in the eighth inning. He pitched... Two innings, he got two two inning save. Uh, to be fair though, we did get the we did get the tie run up to the plate in the ninth, and it was kind of a sad thing because Eddie Rosario was standing at second. Orlando Arcia had a three zero count, and for some reason, on a high inside fastball, Orlando Arcia decided to hit a little check swing, and it bounces off of his bat and dribbles at the first baseline. And the way that Edwin Diaz picked that ball up with his bare hand and stepped on first base like he meant business, it it really felt like a playoff atmosphere. I. Like, like you made the joke about the winning the game seven of the World Series. It Edwin Diaz seemed like he just won the one game seven of the World Series, but I'm not gonna talk trash on him because unlike Pete Alonso, and I'm I I'm, I'm not gonna talk trash on Pete either. I can't right now because we're still recovering. Thank you, Ronnie, for robbing that home run in today's game. Uh, Edwin Diaz is legit. <laughs> He, he with on a team with uh DeGrom and Max Scherzer to be probably the most unhittable pitcher on a team, that's kind of a scary feeling. No, absolutely. Edwin Diaz is an absolute stud. And you might not tra- talk trash on Pete Alonso, but I will. Dude's an absolute cheese ball. Every time I see him <laughs> fail, I get a big smile on my face. So thank you, Ronnie, for robbing that homer today. He had another crazy play against Pete, jump and save in the, in the outfield. So, boy, does that make me happy. Yeah, I, I didn't like Pete Alonso. Then he had that little bat flip at the earlier this season where he did the little little sassy bat flip. And I was like, okay, that's oh. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny so maybe i might like you again and now all of a sudden the home run derby stuff maybe turn turn back off and he's a mess so it makes it makes it rough but uh yeah that that's all i got for the three braves games we missed like we like we've been talking about there's one going on right now that we'll probably discuss on our next podcast more in depth we'll go back and kind of do while while baseball's going on maybe they're not this long because we're already like 30 minutes in and uh we, we've only got this far but uh, we'll discuss the form, the past games. Uh, Kenny, what about a look ahead? What you, what you think about the rest of the Mets series? You got two games tomorrow and a game on Sunday or Monday, which we still have not figured out. Well, it feels it, I feel good about the series. Um, I'm excited to see uh, a, a Jake Odorizzi outing for the first time in a Braves uni. Um, you know, the dude is a is a noted a, a noted baller. He's he's a good starter, a quality guy. So, and anytime you can figure out a way as far as AA goes, we we talk this dude up all the time, but I don't care what you're doing. When you find a way to get Will Smith off the team with the way he's been playing and bring in a guy like Jake Odorizzi, boy, I mean, I don't know how you make it work, but thank you. Like, and I don't, I don't, no- I don't want to interrupt you, but uh, you know, Will Smith, we didn't talk about it. He gave up a home run his first pitch with the Astros, right? Home run first pitch. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you love to see it. I mean, the dude's been doing it all year long. So, and like we said in the past podcast, baseball is such a what have you done for me lately sport, and. Unfortunately, Will Smith didn't do anything for us and hasn't done anything for us lately. So to get him out of here and the way that we did and the guy that we brought in for him, like that just kind of seemed like a magic trick. And, uh, you know, I'm 
I'm pumped to see Odorizzi come out because in a series like this where you're playing five games, including a doubleheader against a rival, a, a team that you're battling with right now for, uh, you know, not not a playoff spot, but for the division win and, and for the, you know, to go five in a row like the Braves are aiming to do. Um, when you see a, a game where you're potentially going to either have a bullpen game or bring in a, a sixth starter and you have a guy like Jake Odorizzi on the squad, like, Boy, does that that makes you feel good. It makes me feel good as a fan. So I'm pumped to see the way that, that things match out. I think we're going to get a Strider Day Grom matchup, which has got me salivating. Oh yeah, I agree. And uh, going back to the Will Smith stuff, I just pulled up his contract. Uh, the Astros are going to be paying him 13 million dollars next year. So uh, yeah, y'all can have fun with that. Yeah, money well spent. Money well spent. Uh, yeah. So you talked. You covered a lot of it. The upcoming matchups. The good thing is, is that really I don't see a game where we could say. And I guess it's a good and a bad thing. I don't see a game where we could say either team has such a dominant like pitching advantage because tomorrow we're probably going to see Max versus Max in one of the games, I'm assuming. And then the other game is probably going to be Colm... I about to say Colm McHugh. My bad. Jake Odorizzi versus maybe like a David Peterson. Or I, I think maybe maybe like a David Peterson. That sounds about right. So I don't... Probably, I heard Bassett early on, but I think he pitched uh, in the game before this series started. So I don't think we'll see him. Okay, so we're, I'm assuming they'll probably go with David Peterson. Uh, and then on, like, Sunday, it's actually Sunday. I looked it up. Sunday, we'll see a DeGrom and uh, Strider matchup. So, I mean, the pitching matchup should be pretty good. I'm not saying, like, obviously we faced David Peterson a little earlier. David Peterson's a solid pitcher. He's not bad. So, I don't I don't want to count him out just yet with Odorizzi because we haven't seen Odorizzi yet in a Braves uniform. But I'm confident, man. You know, this all we, that means we just got to out hit because we have three solid pitchers on the mound these next three games. So, just swing the bats and let's get some runs on the board. That's all you can do. All right, Kenny. Uh, next segment. Uh, you want to do a Hall of Fame game next? Yeah, dude. Let's dive into it. We got some dogs. Uh, do you want to lead us off? You want me to take 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 the reel? Um, you, go ahead, Jake. All right. So, uh, you know, the reason we didn't do the podcast yesterday or stream or do anything, you know, we had plans to do it and we we had some discussions about it, but at the end of the day, it was the first first football game. We didn't want to miss it. We didn't want to have to do the recording and stuff. Uh, through it and um. You know, it was it was fun. We get we got to watch some some nice preseason football. It all started off with uh them congratulating the, the Hall of Fame guys, and I would like to say congratulations to a dog, Richard Seymour. Dog. Uh, you know, former defensive end with the New England Patriots. Um, they had an interesting stat. I don't know if you saw it on the broadcast. Seymour only recorded one sack at UGA. I did not see that, and that's nuts because that's you know you think about a guy like that who's been such a staple. Um, you know, as far as UGA goes and has been a notable guy in the league. Um, you would not think that as a UGA fan unless you're a, a stat wizard. So you bring that up and that does blow my mind a little bit. One sack at UGA, and this is another crazy stat to show you how good he is. Uh, he was Bill Belichick's uh, first first-round pick. So Bill had a little bit of insight drafting a guy with one sack in his first first round. <laughs> Hall of Famer. Know, and we know Bill loves those Georgia boys. That is a fact. Bill does love Georgia boys. So we had a we had a couple couple big Georgia guys there. Um, on Jacksonville side of the ball, on the defensive side, we had uh first round pick or first overall pick, Trayvon Walker. We also had last year first round pick Tyson Campbell, former uh, Georgia corner. I wanted to talk about him a little bit because I know there was a little bit of stuff going on with him. We also had Zamir White on the offensive side of the ball with Vegas. Uh, you know, you want to start off with Trayvon? Talk about Trayvon a little bit. Yeah, dude, let's start off with Trey. I mean, dude came out there, and in the most characteristic way the NFL season could start off, it's with a absolute horrible roughing the passer call. It was terrible. It, it, it was like, it, it is one of the, 
worst calls I've ever seen. But I can't even say it's one of the worst calls I've ever seen because if you watch almost any Sunday game, you're going to see a call like that. So, you know, it's equally as bad as all the other ones. Oh, absolutely. And I saw a bunch of people talking about, oh, it's preseason for the refs too. But come on, man. Like, first play of the game, that wasn't even close to being worth a roughing penalty. So you hate to see it, but the dude still goes out there and balls. He shows off that he is worth the number number one overall pick. Obviously, he didn't get a big sample size in the game. They're trying to keep him healthy, but comes out there, records a sack. He's flying all over the field, dominating. And a, a thing that not a lot of people have mentioned is that the Raiders had a lot of starting O-linemen in the game, particularly Alex Leatherwood, who got some reps against Trey Walker, and Trey Walker clearly won the battle so i mean if you're a jacksonville fan you got to be pumped to see that and as a dog fan you know we're always excited to see our boys do well yeah and i saw a lot of the stunts that jacksonville was running on the defensive line is it it definitely encouraging because you know if, if you're an sec fan like we are uh jacksonville might be a team to watch on the uh defensive front you know they have josh allen from kentucky uh chase on from lsu and now they have trayvon walker from georgia so you know a, a lot of big prestige sec pass rushes the past couple of years are now playing at jacksonville and like i said the stunts they're running on the defensive line with all your starters in the game you know you're gonna have a lot of success with that and i know it's preseason jacksonville didn't really look that great the offense was kind of stumbling but i mean you know jacksonville i think has a really really bright future in the league Absolutely, and you think Jacksonville, specifically in the Hall of Fame game, their backup quarterback, obviously the starter's Trevor Lawrence, he didn't play, but the backup quarterback, C.J. Beathard, he didn't play either. I think he's dealing with a lingering injury or whatever. So, yeah, Jake Lutton. You know, yeah, Jake Lutton, Kyle Slaughter, um, you know, guys like that obviously are not going to be your upper echelon quarterbacks in the league, so... Um, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, the Jags are dead, but come on, man, it's a Hall of Fame game. It's the first preseason game of the year, and um, we see it every year. And unfortunately, it's bad football. It is. There's no way Very to, bad. to there's no, no other way to word it. It feels like you're watching an XFL game or a USFL game, but it's football nonetheless, and we're excited to see it. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, Georgia's got the upper hand on Auburn again because Trayvon Walker's first sack in a preseason game came against uh, Auburn's former quarterback, Jared Stidham, so that's always nice to see. Uh, <laughs> it's new there. Well, that, that was that was a beautiful thing. Also, I wanted to talk about Tyson Campbell. I didn't really see much of him because, you know, the cameras, basically the whole, like, first couple drives were all on Trey. They showed so much Trey. The first, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Ooh, got a little Got a little crackly right there. <laughs> <laughs> they showed so much Trey the first uh, couple drives. Like, they would have, like, the zoom-in camera on him on his pass rushing moves. He looked good. But, uh, so I didn't see much of Tyson. I know he recorded three sacks, but I know he had a scare. Uh, I know he gave Jags fans a really big scare because he went down on the field in the first quarter. Uh, thankfully, he came back up, got back on the field for a little bit. And, I like I said, I, I didn't see much of him, but I know from last year that Tyson Campbell's a really, really big part of that defense. You know, last year as a rookie cornerback that, you know, how he played – and the step up, you know, a lot of times rookie quarterbacks don't have much, much success. That success comes a little bit later on. So if he could take that next step after a successful rookie year, I mean, he could become, you know, a, a top tier guy in the league, I think. Well, you saw a guy like Sidney Jones, who is a guy that not a lot of people talked about, but he was a pretty highly touted recruit that the Jags drafted at corner. Um, and it's pretty interesting enough to think that a guy like Tyson Campbell goes in there last year in his rookie year and pretty much took that spot from they ended up dealing him to the Seahawks I believe um which is crazy to think but uh, Tyson Campbell is going to become a, a a staple of this Jags defense so that's just another dog to talk about man he is an absolute stud it was scary to see him go down with that injury early on but I think they kind of just wrote it off as a little bit of a stinger so um, mm -hmm. you know hopefully he'll be good to go yeah he was one of those guys at Georgia I always thought he was kind of raw but the physicals were always there he's he's kind of 
he he physically he looks like he he could play NFL cornerback. I don't think he's the shortest guy. I think Tyson Campbell's actually a little bit over six foot, which is in in the NFL that's like more of like a prototypical cornerback nowadays. You see less and less like five ten, five nine guys. And I could be completely wrong. Dude could be five seven, but <laughs> just the way he looks on a football field, I've never looked it up. Uh, but you know he looks like he has all the physical to play the cornerback spot, which is nice, and he shows out. Uh, so we got Zeus. Zeus, the the man, uh, he looked really, really good in his in his first preseason action. I was I was really encouraged to see that. Um, I don't know if you had the stats in front of you. If you want to take this from me, uh, he led he led the team in carries. Um, he also had a couple catches last night. He had three receptions for twenty three yards, which is crazy because we did not throw the ball to him at all at UGA. Nah. James James Cook was that guy. So it, you know, you see a guy like that, he's got some hands, and it's crazy because it was weird. Uh, and, you know, I heard a couple of people talk about it, and it got me thinking as well. Josh Jacobs played a lot. Um, and when you no. think about a guy like Josh Jacobs, who is, you know, in my opinion, a top 10 running back in the NFL and a guy that's been a stud, and then you work the whole dynamic of the Raiders not picking up his fifth-year option, and then now he's playing in the all, in the Hall of Fame game when you don't really see those type of players playing in preseason, not to mention the first preseason game. And then you bring in a guy like Josh McDaniels, who is, uh, you know, obviously Patriot way guy through and through. And the New England Patriots, they have that kind of stigma about them of drafting a running back, playing them for three or four seasons, and then letting them walk and drafting another one. So I saw a lot of people saying they're, they're wondering if Josh Jacobs is going to fall in that same category. And you wouldn't think so with how good this guy has been. But, man, it does make you think when you trot out there and, and put a guy like that in a game for as many reps as he got, are you showcasing him a little bit? I don't know. So, you know, you could take that how you want to, but nonetheless, Zeus came out there. He played great ball. He had 11 carries for 52 yards, he had a long of 14, which I believe was his first or second run of the game. So he kind of, bu he, he busted one out there a little bit, three receptions for 23 yards. So he got some really, really good production for that Raiders team. Definitely. And uh, one thing I'm curious about with Zeus and the way I was looking at it when I was watching the game was, uh, I noticed that, that Oakland has, Oakland has a pretty, pretty loaded backfield. Uh, it kind of makes me feel like that Zeus might be kind of like a stash guy for him. Somebody you just put up for this season and save for the following year, because you look at guys like, like you just said, Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs is, a, is probably close to the top tier of running backs in the NFL. You look at guys like Kenyon Drake, who has in the past had great success. And you look at guys like Amir Abdullah, who has played with multiple teams in the league. He's had he's had decent success everywhere he's went. He's like the perfect like third down back, third and 10. You put him on the field and he might make something work. So you look at Zeus on the depth chart and he might be looking at around fourth. I did notice, though, I don't I know it's preseason, so it doesn't matter. But they did bring Zeus out before Kenyon Drake, which kind of had me thinking a little bit because I almost forgot Kenyon Drake played with the Raiders until they brought him on the field. But it was a little, it was later than Zeus, so it's kind of a weird preseason rotation they had going on. No, it was weird, and and I did not, for one, forget that Kenyon Drake was on the team because I started Josh Jacobs in fantasy last year religiously, and boy, did Kenyon Drake just eat up his PT. Uh, so. <laughs> I noticed that pretty heavily, so, but no, that kind of goes back to my whole thoughts about Josh Jacobs and the whole situation with him playing early on, where it felt kind of, it, it just felt strange. You just never see a guy like that, so it almost does make me wonder if they're showcasing him a little bit, and he's kind of one foot out the door in Vegas, so 
I don't know, but I think you could see Zeus surprise a lot of people coming up this year because, I mean, obviously as dog fans, we saw this guy. We know what he can do. So if he goes in the league and kind of keeps up some similar production to what he had last night, not saying he will, but, you know, he absolutely has the tool set to, the skill set to. So, um, you know, it, it's something to watch out for, for sure. You know, and I know we're talking about football. We're talking about all these SEC guys. I don't want to go completely like redneck on you right here, but uh, I'm going to get you to do this next introduction because I need a fresh dip right now. What? <laughs> Let's go. Well, I think, you know, moving off of the Hall of Fame game, we're going to kind of dive into some more college football. Um, you know, like we said, it's getting to that time of year where obviously down here in Georgia it's not, but, you know, Yay! you're ready <laughs> You're ready for that for that chill in the air, for it to cool off, to throw your hoodie on, your boots and jeans, and get out there, drink a couple cold beers, and watch some football. We said it the other day, and we'll, we'll keep – We'll keep saying it, man. I'm itching. I'm itching for it. So, oh yeah, can you have um, to ask you again? Oh, uh, what's your favorite beer? Oh well, I'm I'm clearly a Miller Lite guy, 100. percent Um, I'm gonna I ask you this every single time we start talking about nice fall nights drinking cold beer because I asked you this last time too. So I'm just gonna keep on asking the same question. Well, you you ask me the same question, I'll give you the same answer. I am a big Miller Lite guy. My second favorite beer is the next one up in the cooler. That's it. I love to hear it. Okay, continue on. My fault. That's my apologies. I had I had an interruption right there, guys. No, you can always interrupt when you're talking about ice cold beers. That's a fact. Um, so no football, man. We're we're in full swing now as far as college goes. You had opening day of fall camps, opening day of fall practices kicked off yesterday. So um, you know, obviously we're SEC guys through and through, and we kind of broke down what we thought prediction wise for the SEC and 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 what we think you know, moving forward. And we're going to get into some more in-depth SEC talk, some more roster breakdowns, specifically UGA. But for the time being, man, I think we're just pumped to kick some, to kick it off and get some football talk going. So what we're going to do for you here tonight is uh, do a little breakdown of what we've got as far as Power 5 goes as a whole, what our predictions are for the for the conferences out there. we got some realignment news coming, but obviously we're a couple years away from that. So Let's dive into it, man. We got college football playoff predictions. We got Power Five conference predictions. And, um, you know, Jake, why don't you kick us off? Let's start off with the ACC. We're going to start with the ACC? Yeah, let's let it rip. Okay, copy that. Uh, so, my ACC. So, in the Atlantic, I have Clemson. I have Clemson take the Atlantic. I have Miami taking the Coastal. Um, between those two teams, I have Clemson winning the ACC. Um, I, I, I put down a couple of the toughest games. Uh, Clemson has a couple ones on the schedule. They play uh, Wake Forest. They play at Wake Forest week four. I think that one could give Clemson a little bit of trouble. I know Wake Forest. Wake Forest is the one that has that really, really good quarterback, correct? Yeah, stud quarterback and a really good team. They're bringing back a lot of guys as well. So I think they're definitely a threat to uh, to sneak up on you. I know Wake Forest made some noise last year. I also have week five. And the reason I wrote, the main reason I wrote week five is because you're coming off a tough matchup week four. And uh, NC State, even in Clemson, that's still a really, really tough matchup. So you have Wake Forest. You have to go to Wake Forest, then you have to come back home to Clemson. But it's back-to-back, you know, tough games. Um, Week 10 at Notre Dame. You really never know with Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame is kind of one of those weird schools that they get all this national hype, and then all of a sudden they play a real real team, they get beat by 30. That's what it seems like happens almost every year. <laughs> and then uh, Week 12, I have uh, they're at Miami. So they're, they're playing Miami. I also noted that... Uh, South Carolina, you know, it's it's rivalry week, so it's an every year thing, but I'm kind of high on South Carolina this year. And like I said, the back-to-backs to me are always tough when you play back-to-back tough teams. I feel like one of them can sneak up on you a little bit. So I marked that down. I also gave Miami's toughest teams. Uh, Miami plays A&M week three, which is going to be a really, really good matchup. I'm excited to see that because I'm really, really high on Miami this year. I know that you know that. I've talked about it. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, their quarterback, is, is my Heisman sleeper. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, 
And I think they could do some work. Mario Cristobal's over there. You know, he's he's the came from Oregon. He he's been working on recruiting and all that fun stuff. I'm pretty sure that Miami's gonna be taking over the state of Florida. Sorry, Florida fans. I know that y'all are a very, very sad culture right now. Really, really down. Uh Week 12 at Clemson, same thing as I just mentioned, week 12 matchup. And then week 13 versus Pittsburgh, that, that's always a tough game. Pittsburgh is always a pretty tough team. Uh, they lost Kenny Pickett. They got Keaton Slovis. I mentioned that in the last podcast, so I ain't going to go to it too much depth. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, this is this is my Clemson stuff since they're my winners. Um, I think their offense all depends on how DJ plays. Um, in 2020, his freshman year, whenever he played a little bit with Trevor, he showed a lot of flashes of being a great quarterback. But uh, last year, he just looked lost. Um, I'm not really super confident that DJ will get back to his old ways, but if he can, then I mean Clemson's gonna rejoin the powerhouse in college football. Like that that's that's my tiers of Clemson. You can either get the Clemson of last year, or you can get a top three football team in college football. That's and it, it all depends on how DJ goes. Um, you know, they promoted their they promoted their I, you do that that's a, I that's was a good thing. Say, I, I agree with that 100%, especially with everything riding on DJ. And one thing I'll say about DJ is last year he was off. His mechanics looked off. Everything just looked off about him. And I think Mm -hmm. he's a great quarterback. I really do think he's a good player. You know, we got a small sample size with him. The the couple games that Trevor was hurt and he came out there and balled. So, but I think another dynamic not a lot of people are talking about is they bring in the number one quarterback in Cade Cade Klubnik. Yeah. Um, So not only does DJ have the motivation of coming off the bad year last year and trying to prove to people that he, you know, is the real deal, but he's also got a dude like that breathing down his neck. Definitely. And they promoted their quarterback coach, uh, Brandon Streeter, to offensive coordinator right before the Cheez-It Bowl last year because their former play caller, Tony Elliott, he left to take the Virginia job. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, Streeter can get in there and, you know, change the dynamic of that offense. I mean, he's the old quarterback coach, so he has to have, you know, some type of really close connection with uh, DJ, and hopefully the play calling stuff can, you know, show that. Absolutely. Um, well, on my end, as far as the uh, the ACC goes, you mentioned a team like NC State. Oh, I, I still, I still have one more thing. Uh, I, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and hit the defense first, because I, I, then I'll let you get your ACC. Sound good? Sounds good to me. Uh, so I, I have mine separated offense and defense, so I can kind of like so I can separate it and be able to tell what I'm talking about. Clemson on the defensive side, uh, they lost a lot. Of, they lost a lot of talent. They lost uh, two star corners and Mario Goodrich and Andrew Booth. And they also lost uh, Clemson legend at linebacker James Skalski. I mean, everybody loves him. Like <laughs> he's there for about nine years, I think. Yeah, he was. He, uh, I'm pretty sure him and Hunter Renfro were roommates in the '90s. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I remember that <laughs> when I was in uh, third grade. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I still believe Clemson will have one of the best defensive units in college football. The defensive line is amazing. They have that uh, what, Breesy guy? That that crazy, yeah, insane absolutely interior baller. lineman. He's another guy that you want to look for probably in the top five of next year's draft. I know his name hasn't really been talked about much, but he's going to be an absolute stud. Trust me, I I, rem- I remember week one last year, and uh, he's he's a guy I would prefer not to face ever again. Um, as, no. as we know, Brett Venables, he took the uh, Oklahoma job, but uh, Wes Goodwin looks to be in pretty good shape. I mean, they have, they've, they've done decent recruiting. You know, they still have some really, really good defensive depth, and that, you know, a lot of college football, if you can get a little bit of a pass rush going and get some stuff rolling, like, that that's half the equation right there. I mean, corners are necessary, but, I mean, you're playing against S- like ACC quarterbacks. Like, I mean, you have a couple good ones, but, you know, if you can get that pass rush on them, it doesn't matter what you're looking like back there. Absolutely, especially when you think about the NCAA as a whole. I mean, they're printing money right now with the, all, the, the NIL stuff, and they always have been. So... 
I, I think, you know, you see these these teams like Bama and UGA year after year with the guys like Saban and Kirby where they bring these guys in, these coaches, these coordinators, you know, whoever it may be, and they just do a, a fantastic job at not only recruiting but developing these players, turn them into studs. Then they go pro, and then they develop into amazing pro players, and you see it year after year. And then these coaches leave, they get paid, they take the big money, go take the head coaching job. And for the most part, Clemson really hasn't had to deal with too much of that. Dabo's done a really good job of keeping his guys there. So you see a guy like Venables leave after his extensive time of being at Clemson. You know, obviously he's a huge he's a huge loss. He's you know debatably, arguably the the best defensive coordinator in, in college football. Um, but I still think that Clemson, even without him, is going to be able to to bring that stud defense back and and keep producing these guys and, and the kind of production that they've been able to get just because of, you know, you look at Dabo and his history of being able to get the best out of his players. So, um, you know, I agree with you 100%. I think their defense is going to be in very, very good hands. And a uh, little little update, uh, Wild Bill just hit a bomb. So, I mean, it's always a celebration when Wild Bill hits a bomb. So We love Wild Bill. <laughs> we love Wild Bill, baby. Uh, yeah, but like like you were saying, that defense is still going to be there. The defensive line's there. Coaching, coaching matters in college football. Coaching matters so much in college football compared to the pro level. But whenever you have guys that are experienced on the defensive front, like, like Clemson does, you know, those guys – you know, they remember technique. They remember all the stuff they learned before. And like I said, Wes Goodwin is going to come in and, you know, walk right into those guys. And if the secondary learned from the guys that were before them, Andrew Booth was a stud in college, but we know Andrew Booth has been kind of shaken up. So, I mean, you're not really losing him like that. Like, I don't think he's been healthy for the past year or so. And I think he's still hurt in the NFL. So, uh, that's my that's that's my wrap-up, though. That's my wrap-up on the ACCs. You want to hit yours? Yeah, man, that uh, that was good. I agree with you on a lot of things. Um, and, and, you know, getting back to what I was saying a minute ago, you hit on NC State a little bit. I, for one, am actually super high on NC State this year. It's a good football I, team. They're a good football team, man. They're bringing back a ton of guys. They've got great coaching. You talk about Devin Leary, who is my Heisman sleeper this year at quarterback for, for that Wolfpack team. Dude's a stud. I mean, he runs, he throws, he's accurate, he's got a cannon. He's super athletic. He, he makes the right reads. He keys in on defenses and really takes advantage of you at your weak spots. I'm a big fan of him. So definitely watch out for him and your Heisman rankings and your Heisman votings. If you're laying a futures bet on a guy, you can probably get some pretty sweet odds with a with a guy like Devin Leary. Um, unfortunately, I did have them losing out. I had Clemson taking over from the Atlantic side of the division in the ACC. Um, I, I agree with you on uh on them kind of getting back and you know we talk about college football and how much coaching matters and you know either way you want to look at it you know if you t talk about top tier guys the elite caliber of college football coaches it doesn't matter if you're a fan of this team or that team if you don't have Dabo Sweeney up there then you just you don't know ball I don't know what you're talking about so yep Dabo's a guy he's gonna get the team going he's gonna get the boys buzzing so I I'm looking for Clemson to step back into it, and and they didn't have as bad of a year as a lot of people no, said they did last year. Um, you know, it was just bad for Clemson standards. So, I still got Clemson winning out in that ACC uh, Atlantic Division, and you know, a big point of that, like you said, is DJ. So I don't want to harp on that too much because you really covered it offensively and defensively, defensively. So I'll just leave it with that. Um, the coastal side of it. Unfortunately, the coastal side of the ACC is just significantly weaker than the Atlantic, and the Atlantic is already weak. So mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, for the coastal, I've got Pitt coming out. I think Pittsburgh's going to win it. Um, a couple reasons I've got them is they're returning a ton of starters. I want to say 17, maybe 18 starters coming back, which is crazy. They lost some guys to the draft. Obviously, the big one is Kenny Pickett, who is a first-round pick. 
Um, going to the Steelers, he's a stud. He was a, a Heisman hopeful last year, broke a lot of Dan Marino's records out there, which is crazy to think, one of the greatest of all time. Um, but they bring in a guy like Keaton Slovis, and Keaton Slovis is, is a guy. I, I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a quality starter. He's going to get some really good production, and I just don't think he needs to be as good at Pittsburgh as he may need to be on another squad because of their competition. So I've got Pitt winning out in the Coastal. You talk about teams like Duke, Tech, Miami. I know you know we're, we're a little bit high on Miami. I think they've got some upside, but I still think they're they're probably one or two years away. I think Cristobal needs, needs to get in there and do some work and do some more recruiting, and they're definitely on the upturn, but I think they're probably going to come up a little bit short this year because of a team like Pittsburgh and the and the schedule the schedule matchups that they have like you said with teams like A&M so um, and then you talk about North Carolina Virginia Virginia Tech Virginia Tech's another team I'm kind of high on they've got a good quarterback they've got a good team they're always buzzing they're a hard team to play at home they come out there inner Sandman and just you know get after it it's an electric atmosphere but oh, yeah. I do have I do have Pitt coming out of there. Um, the primary reason is the returning starters and the quarterback. And not to mention Clemson, another thing, they're returning a ton of starters as well. So I think two teams like that, especially in a division and a conference like the ACC, experience matters. It does in college football. But when you're playing a weaker competition in a weaker division, experience really kind of gives you that upper hand. So I've got those two coming out, and I've got Clemson winning it all. You know, uh, I just wanted to mention last year, uh, week eight and nine, Miami beat NC State and Pitt back to back weeks. So that that that's just my that's just my final on that one. You know, big not not a Miami fan. Not a Miami fan. I don't I don't want to quote myself here. Tyler Van Dyke fan. Big I'm a big Tyler Van Dyke guy. You know, that's that's, that's what you can call me. Uh okay, Kenny. Uh next conference. What you got? Which what, what you want me to hop into? I got you. Any one of them. Well, I you know, We've already hit on it, and it's pretty obvious whether who what you know. It doesn't matter if you're a fan of a SEC team or somebody else. I think you're one and two are pretty unanimous across the board. So let's go ahead and dive into the SEC. It should be a pretty quick conversation. Uh, it, it should be, but I will say out of my notes that is the longest notes I have talking about Georgia. Because <laughs> I feel oh, well, like we, we can talk we can talk about the dogs all day. I'm just saying, as far as who your number one from the east and number one from the west is, that's pretty unanimous. Okay, yeah, my number one east, uh, UGA, obviously. Number one west, Alabama, obviously. And I actually have Georgia winning the SEC championship this year. I think Georgia takes it home. I don't think it's I don't think it's similar to last year. I think this year, I think Georgia is going to dominate the SEC. And that might be a bold take, but I, I'm, I'm confident. I don't, I don't believe in what people are saying about Georgia, knowing how Georgia played and what Georgia's strong suits are. I, I don't believe in all the Georgia's defense is not going to be as good, which obviously, you know, that's expected. We don't expect Georgia's defense to be as good. But, I mean, I expect the offense to take another step, so I think that's going to kind of cancel it out. Let me get to the toughest games, though. So, you know, I, I have two games in particular for Georgia that is, you know, the toughest two for me. And they're both early season games. Uh, Georgia has a relatively easy schedule this year. Like, we don't really have too much uh, out of conference, like, bad games that are that are tough teams. But we have Oregon week one, neutral side in Atlanta. So it's basically a home game for Georgia. I think, I think we're going to take it home, but I had to put it here. And then week three, this is a scary one for me because early football, early college football can kind of get a little risky because everybody's still getting together. In week three, we have to travel out to South Carolina, which which makes me a little nervous because I do think South Carolina's on a little bit of an upcoming. I still think Georgia wins that game, but, it, you know, it's kind of hard to find toughest games on Georgia's schedule. Same thing with Alabama. So, on Alabama's... Well, and that's always a tough game, too, you know, and not to cut you off or anything, but 
when no, you talk I mean, they about beat us, they beat us when we were at the top of our game a couple years back. Like, it, right. It's just one of those games, dude. So the South Carolina matchup every year is always exciting. And, you know, we typically find a way to win that game. And, you know, we've got a, a handle on the series as a whole, but even going into the future, talking about the, the, you know, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the sec and, you know, this is something we'll kind of go over because I don't know how familiar a lot of people are with the the restructuring that we're probably going to see here in the near future. But uh, long story short, 2025 is what I heard. Long story short, without diving into it completely, the SEC is most likely going to go from a division conference to a non-division conference to where we just have one SEC. You'll have three set schedule or three set matchups every year. You know, year in year out, you'll see the three, the same three teams, and I believe for Georgia, the three teams we can expect to see are Florida, Auburn, and South Carolina. Um, and you know that just goes to show that this South Carolina rivalry is something that you know, even though Georgia's got a handle on it as of late, is is a a team and a game that we're gonna see year in year out, and it's gonna be competitive, especially with a team like that, and you know they're on the uptrend. So, I. I Completely agree with you that especially early on in the season, that, that could be a dogfight. Yeah, South Carolina should be taken lightly. Uh, Alabama, their toughest games I have for them on their schedule. Uh, I left A&M out. I did leave A&M out the toughest games. I do believe it's going to be a tough game, but it's at it's in Tuscaloosa. That's what I, I like. Whenever it's a top tier team like this, I kind of look at their away matchups more. And uh, the ones I picked out, I picked out week five at Arkansas. And... This one right here, honestly, I feel like this is their, the best chance of Alabama losing a game this year. Uh, week 7 at Tennessee. I think the Week 7 at Tennessee matchup could be a really, really scary matchup for Alabama. Because we talk about high-powered offenses and stuff. And Tennessee, that's definitely their mojo. Tennessee's mojo is trying to put points up on you kind of quick with that fast-paced offense. Like you, like, like we mentioned the other day, they have the uh, upside of scoring a touchdown on you in 30 seconds. Or they have the downside of running a three and out in 30 seconds so if if tennessee's on their game tennessee is one of those teams that's kind of tough to keep down uh what, what would you say about that oh, i agree with you and i'm not high on tennessee by any means and i'm super biased and i'm a super homer to uga and i hate everything and anything orange especially that gaudy burnt orange man i hate it with a passion there might be a worse so, color orange uh it, it's matched up with uh blue down in you know florida for me personally oh Everything down there is terrible. You don't have to get me started. So, um, obviously, not a big Tennessee guy, but I agree with you. Uh, that offense, it can really give you problems. We saw it give us problems, even though we came out with a with a solid W. Um, and a team like Alabama, where you know their strength is in the secondary, I will say, which does give them a little bit of an advantage. They do have the pass rush, whatever, but they're a little bit weak across the middle. Mm -hmm. And Tennessee has that option if they want to run those. They run those routes across the middle of the field. They run a little bit more of a West Coast-style offense that you see taking over the NFL right now. Um, and that's going to come into play more in college football here in the future. You've seen some teams have success with it. So I think, you know, I agree with you. A team like Tennessee and the way they play and the way they scheme offensively is kind of built to rival a defense like Alabama. Um now, you know, whether or not I would have that as a super competitive game for Alabama, I don't know. But um, I don't fault you for having that in there, and, and I don't think it's a bad take at all. Yeah, my thing about Tennessee is, you know, the way they were on offense is Tennessee will hit those little dink and dunk, wide receiver screen, drag route, all that fun stuff, and they just wait. They wait until you have 
that corner play a couple feet closer to the receiver. Then they're going to try to t- try to take the top off. They did it against Georgia. Like I said, last year, the first drive against Georgia, they, they marched down the field on us. Because it's like like we mentioned in the last podcast, it's not really an offense that's really easy to prepare for in the SEC because it's not one that you see much in the SEC right now. Like, you know, definitely college football and the SEC starting to move more in that direction because we have a lot of, a lot of like, ground and pound teams. And now we're starting to see more high-flying teams out there throwing the ball 40 times a game. We see it with... We see it with the Mississippi States. We see it with the Ole Misses. We see it with the Alabamas. We see it with all these teams. And, you know, Tennessee, just they have a different type of feel with that offense that you don't see out there. I agree 100%. It's just a team that's really sneaky. They can sneak up on you. They can score a lot of points in a short amount of time. Um, there is, it, It's a big risk-reward type of program or, or scheme, I should say. But when you're facing a team like Alabama that does rely on their defense so heavily, um, you run the risk of getting into a shootout. And, uh, you know, Tennessee is one of those teams where they can probably go neck and neck with you in a shootout just from the way they run their offense. That's a fact. Uh, I'm going to get into Georgia's uh, little breakdown right here. Um, we did lose our top two running backs, Amir White and James Cook. They both went pro. But uh, I still think we're going to feature one of the strongest backfields in the nation. I mean, you look at guys. You still get senior Kenny McIntosh. He's probably going to be leading the way. But – We'll also feature uh, juniors Kendall Milton and Deshaun, Dejon Edwards, uh, and not to mention the freshman from Mississippi, Branson Robinson, that everybody's really, really high on. The dude's built like a tank, looks like Nick Chubb. Uh, senior I saw a video of him walking into camp yesterday, just walking down the hallway wearing a T-shirt and shorts, and felt like I was watching Bobby Lashley walk into the ring for a WWE match. What a I mean, the dude, the dude is yoked, man. I mean, he... I wouldn't be surprised if the dude benches 500 pounds and he's what, 19 years old, 18 years old. I mean, this dude is a genetic freak. And, um, you know, I don't know what kind of PT he gets with guys like Kenny Mack, Kendall Milton, you know, and and those guys in the rotation. But boy, is he scary. Yeah. And he's one of those guys to me that kind of gives you a different look than those guys because you like to me, like, Third and one situation, no matter how far Branson is down your depth chart, we've never seen him play college football, so I can't talk too much about him. But I mean, you have a guy built like that. It just seems like he's the obvious choice to go out there and just hand hand him the rock. Like I feel like he could be a guy if he comes out in these in these practices and comes out in these early season games and starts playing, you know, against these little Mickey Mouse teams and puts up numbers. He might be a guy that might find his way into a rotation. And I, I like I'm a big I I've, I've expressed before I'm a big Dijon Edwards guy, but he might be a guy that could jump him into the third running back spot. We know Georgia loves to run three different backs out there all to, all the time. Absolutely. Um, Stetson Stetson Bennett Stetson Bennett to me and people have questioned this. Uh, questioned the help that he should have around him. Everybody knows the tight end room is electric. I mean, people have been arguing. Correction. Correction. Stequavius. Stequavius Bennett with the new hairline and the uh, and the uh, what is it? What 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 was the t shirt he had on? It was a biggie t-shirt. A biggie t-shirt. That that's that's right. He got the he got the fresh hairline. He got the he got the biggie shirt on. And they, they there was a meme. There was so a meme memes. flying around Twitter saying it's crazy what a national championship can do to you. It was a picture of him when he first went to UGA looking like a young Napoleon Dynamite. Dude had straight up fluffy curly afro top of his head no hat a pair of like reading glasses on wearing like jeans and a t-shirt standing next to kirby and then the next picture is him all lined up got the clean fade got the biggie t-shirt on holding the chalkboard going into first day of camp so yeah um stequavius bennett he's a problem 
Yeah, and uh, it's just it's probably safe to say that no girlfriends are safe in Athens right now with with the with the nas- reigning national championship quarterback walking around like that. Like absolute stud, looks great, ready ready to play some football this year. And he's gonna go out and show out. I guarantee it. The weapon, the weapons around him are good. I mean, we're gonna start up front. Uh, Georgia did lose Jamari Sawyer and Justin Schaefer this year to the draft, which is which is a big hit. Being a Georgia fan, you know, I'm I'm not gonna go into breakdowns like this for any other team. This is just me being a Georgia fan, so I know about this type of stuff. Uh. But, I mean, they were returning a lot of guys that have starting experience. Um, you know, Van Weeren, he's going to be back at the center spot. He's going to be kind of the head guy. Uh, Tate Ratledge, he's a guy that got hurt last year really, really early on. And, you know, he's going to take over that guard spot. And then Broderick Jones, he should be the guy that can fill right in for Jamari Sawyer at the left tackle spot. That's going to be a really, really big, you know, really, really big body out there that has a ton of talent. He's a five-star. He came in, so I'm looking forward to see him. And, you know, the tight end room, that is the talk of college football right now. Everybody's saying, oh, is this the best tight end room in uh, college football history? Yes, that is the answer is yes. I don't care about uh, the one that had um, Kellen Winslow Jr. and Jeremy Shockey. Like, I, I don't care. This is the best tight end room in co- ever in college football. Brock Bowers, in my opinion, what I saw with, with Jamison Williams leaving college football and Garrett Wilson leaving college football, Brock Bowers is now the best pass catcher in college football. And there's not a doubt in my mind behind that. And you pair him with Big O and um, Arik Gilbert, I mean, it's going to be insane. And not even to mention Oscar Delp. Oscar Delp, the five-star tight end we just signed this year, is is if, if he has to make an appearance, everybody's saying he's like Brock Bowers 2.0. So I'm really excited to see that. And, you know, people say that the wide receiver core is inexperienced. The wide receiver core might not be that deep. But, like, I, I don't understand that. We have... I will say A.D. Mitchell and Lad McConkie are young. They're, bo- they're both going to sophomore years. They were true freshmen last year. But behind them, Kiaris Jackson, Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint, Arian Smith, and Don Blaylock. Like, that's, to me, that is a really solid wide receiver core to go along with Don't those running backs. Don't sleep on Don time. Blaylock. Don't sleep on Don. And I'm, I'm still confident that if you find the right role for Kiaris Jackson, that he will be a very, very dynamic play, playmaker. He's, to me, and he's not as good as McColl. Don't get me wrong, but to me, when he gets to the pros and a team can find out his skill set, he is going to be a he's going to be deadly. I'm I'm really big on Kiaris too. I think Kiaris could be a big playmaker if they if they put him in the right situations. I agree, hundred percent. Okay, defense. Uh, you know everybody's talking. Everybody's talking that Georgia's defense is going to fall off this year. You know we lost we lost seven starters on the defense, which is, which don't get me wrong is a huge hit, but. I don't feel like people are looking looking at the return the guys we have returning too. I mean, we're we're returning uh linebackers Nolan Smith and Robert Beal, big old Bobby Beal, uh team sack leader last year. Uh really really excited to see them guys come back. And then potential number one overall pick in the 2023 uh NFL draft, Jalen Carter. And you know, there's talks going around right now that Jalen Carter is better than Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis. And I believe it. The dude's skill set and in the interior. And if you look at his highlights, it is almost Aaron Donald, like what he does on a football field is at, at, a, at the defensive tackle spot. Jordan Davis and Devontae White, I'm big fans. They're, they're damn good dogs, and we will always love them. But this is a dynamic pass rusher from the inside of the line. Like This is not something that you just see all the time. And you look at the guys that have been drafted super highly in the NFL draft in recent years from the defensive tackle spot. You know, we have our uh, Ndamukong Suez from Nebraska. We have our uh, Quentin, Quentin uh, what's his name? Uh, old Alabama guy got drafted to the Jets. I am blanking out. What is it? Quentin Williams. Quentin Williams. That's it. Quentin Williams. Those guys were drafted super high, and you know, a guy like Jalen Carter can join them. I feel like a guy like Jalen Carter. You look at like the Dom Sues in college football back how he played. Like he might not be 
the he might not have the the meanness of Ndamukong Su, but I feel like he's definitely gonna be at that type of level. And then we go he's to the just a dog, dude. He's a mauler. The dude will straight up take your lunch money. Yeah, the dude. The dude is a monster. Um, we look at the linebacker spot, and that that's kind of where to me where we're losing like the interior linebacker spot. It's 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 gonna be tough this year, but because we lose Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker, those were two like first round calibers. If Nicobe Dean didn't have the shoulder problem going to the draft, he would have been a first round pick too. Uh. But you know, sophomores Jamon Dumas Johnson and Small Munden are looking, and I, from what I've heard, I'm not there, but from what I heard in camp, Small Munden is looking like he might be a stud. So we have guys there that can fill those roles, and the defensive backs, like we may have lost uh, Kendrick last year to the draft, but I mean, you're bringing back Keely Ringo, who is aiming to be one of the top cornerbacks taken in next year's draft, and you're bringing back three safeties that played huge roles with Chris Smith, Tyke Smith, and Dan Jackson all coming back. So, I mean, to me, the defense isn't taking nearly the drop-off that a lot of people are saying just because you lose a guy like you lose the big Jordan Davis on the, up front and N'Kobe Dean. Like, we have guys in the system that are here, and as long as Kirby Smart is the head coach of Georgia football, the defense is going to be damn good. So, you know, Kenny, I'll let you take the mic from here and – uh. Let me let me hear what you got about the SEC. So I just want to hit on a couple things that you mentioned, and, and obviously, Jake, you did a wonderful job. Okay, uh, breaking down UGA from a head to toe, offense to defense. I mean, I'm not even gonna attempt. I did, so. I did, I did, I didn't, uh, I didn't cover the punter kicker. So uh, I, I, I know Camarda left, and he ran like a four four five in the uh, combine. Don't even remember he got drafted, but uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about this position. There might be a position of weakness for Georgia. Well, no, let's go over the kicker. I just watched a video of Jackpot Lesney draining oh, a pod. 65 yarder in, uh, in camp yesterday, which is nuts. Dude's got a, an absolute rocket launcher attached to his hip. And I'm talking um, about the punter, and uh, let's not forget, now I'm thinking about it, we did sign the top punter in this year's recruiting class from Australia. Don't sleep on the punter. Yeah, facts. I don't know his name. Uh, oh, crikey, mate. <laughs> hey, punt, he football. I don't know. No, no, so... And and I'm just gonna piggyback on a couple of things you said. So with them bringing up bring up a couple of rankings. Um, so two rankings I want to point out that I think are are super 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 important and uh, just kind of show you how amazing uh, not only we've been at developing players but at the recruiting man it's nuts. And even you talk about bringing a guy like Arik Gilbert um, from LSU, um, you know that that just adds the cherry on top. But uh, the PFF ranks every single year before uh, college football starts, the number one position groups around the country from each school. Um, and UGA actually has two in the top three, which is crazy. Safety has think, to be there. Uh, so it, they did uh, defensive backs. Okay, um, that works. We're, we're third in defensive backs nationwide. Um, I believe behind Alabama, and I don't want to say whoever is second because I just don't know. But third in defensive backs – and clear number one in tight end. Our tight end room is obviously absurd. I mean, yep. you talk about a guy like Brock Bowers, Big O, um, Arie Gilbert. I mean, you're talking about so much potential. I mean, you. I mean, Brock Bowers. This dude came out there and just dusted both those safeties for Georgia Tech. Split down the middle. Absolutely burners. I mean, the dude can run he can catch he's big i mean i'm talking about the next rob gronkowski in my opinion i mean this guy is is he's got that type of skill set which is crazy to think that this early on in this guy's career we're comparing him to you know arguably the greatest tight end of all time but i mean he seriously got that potential and i think you're going to see that reflected when he's eligible to be drafted i mean this guy is going to be kyle pitts like uh, a kyle pitts like guy so 
Um, you know, obviously the tight end room is, is ridiculous. The defensive back room is ridiculous. So I just wanted to hit those couple things. Um, obviously SEC East, I've got the dogs taking it. SEC West, I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've got the, uh, the Crimson boys taking it. Unfortunately, I hate to uh, say anything positive about Alabama, but the team's scary. I mean, they're bringing back everybody. They've got the Heisman winner at quarterback. Um, you know, first Heisman quarterback in Alabama history, which is crazy when you think about the talent that they've had and obviously yeah. the coaching and everything. So, um, their weak spots receiver. They've got a lot to replace at receiver, um, and, and you know they're they're pretty good everywhere else. And and I've got some pretty in depth rankings uh, for uh, position by position for the my top four teams in the college football playoff, which I'll I'll save that for the end. But um, as a whole, I've got those two teams taking it. Um, as far as who wins the SEC, oh man, it's tough. Um, here here's my take on it. And it tastes like vinegar coming out of my mouth. I'll be completely honest with you. It really does. I hate to say it. I'm a dog through and through. You see the hat. I think I've worn this hat all three episodes. Um, when you talk about matchups, specifically in the SEC and in recent history, you talk about a team like Georgia and you talk about a team like Alabama and what we've got to do and, and what we've got to overcome to get into the playoff and to get into national championship contention. We've got to go through each other, year in, year out, whether oh, yeah. it's in the natty. Obviously, it's going to be in the SEC. Whether we meet in the playoff, whether we meet in the natty, whatever, we've got to go through each other, and it's going to be two times a year. You hear it every single year. If you're 85 years old, you've heard it for 85 years. It's hard to beat a good team twice. It is. It really hard. is. And like I said, man, it tastes like like – terrible boiling hot vinegar coming out of my mouth but if i'm giving the edge to somebody in the sec championship i'm gonna give it to alabama and the only reason i'm giving it to them is because we're gonna come in there we're gonna win our playoff game we're gonna get to the natty we're gonna face bam again and we're gonna take it from them like we did last year i don't want to have i don't want to have to play them twice but i want the smoke i want all the smoke and nothing but the smoke so bring them on and if i'm going to give them a win i'm going to give it to them in the conference championship and then i'm going to take that natty i'm going to take that ring and i'm going to laugh all the way home so i don't want to say it again because it hurt and i don't want to say it anymore but i do have it lining up like that in the sec so let's move on before i have to think about it anymore oh oh Sorry, I, I feel like that, that speech you just gave uh deserved deserved a part. Because that that was very nice, Kenny. I must say that. Uh I appreciate that. I'll let you uh pick the next conference too. Go ahead and just run one by me and I will talk about them. None of none of these are gonna be as long as the SEC was for me. I'm just gonna let y'all know. I could talk about Georgia all day. Some of these other teams I can't talk about for five minutes. So Well, let's hop into the Big Ten. Um This is exciting big, right here. The Big Ten for me, I've got one clear-cut team coming out of one side of it, but the other side, in my opinion, is just wide open. And I think you can take it from different perspectives and go any way you want. So I'm interested to see what you think about that Big Ten West specifically. So uh, let's hear what you got. Okay, so the Big Ten East, I have uh, Ohio State. I know that uh, Michigan and Michigan State had their little glory runs last year, but this year I, I don't see it happening again. Ohio State's going to be back up top in the uh, Big Ten East. I do think it's going to be competitive. I think that, you know, Ohio State might have a tough time at some points during the year, um, but I think at the end of the day, they're going to win the East. Um, in the West, I actually went with Wisconsin. I looked at the teams, and I think you were right with how close they are, but for some reason, whenever I see Wisconsin on a list of teams that are all relatively close, I always kind of lean towards Wisconsin because I feel like every time I watch them, Wisconsin's one of those teams that play like hard, gritty football, and I love to see that. So Wisconsin's a team I'm, I like to watch a lot. 
So that was kind of my thinking with going with Wisconsin. Um, obviously, I feel like the winner right here is uh, pretty obvious. So Ohio State is is my winner in the Big Ten. Uh, you want me to go ahead and finish this out, or you want me to uh, you want to hop in after me? You want to jump in right now? Like you want to kind of give yours too, or? Well, I mean, you know, you kind of covered the primary points of who you've got winning each and who you've got winning out. So, you know, I'll just kind of piggyback off of you. Um, so, obviously, I've got Ohio State as well. Um, I think Ohio State's a really good team. They've obviously got the quarterback. They've got the skill positions. They've probably got the best wide receiver in college football. Um, and, obviously, they've got a really good coaching staff as well. Yeah, Ryan Day's um, awesome. They're they're uh, Defensively, they're pretty good, too. I think they're, they're pretty slept on defensively. And a, a stupor slept on aspect of this team and this is something that i'm going to get into when we get into uh you know a little bit later on in the playoff rankings i have got some pretty good numbers on this ohio state has the best offensive line in college football um i didn't know that i had no clue but rankings wise they have the number one offensive line they're bringing back some guys they had a lot of guys playing in different positions last year that got a lot of reps. Um, so when you go into a new season, those guys that were splitting reps, playing guard, then going to tackle, then going to guard, then going to tackle, and you've got them in a set position, and you've got all of them on the depth chart at the same time, on the line of scrimmage at the same time, they're going to be a problem. And I think when you have a guy like C.J. Stroud back there who is an absolute stud, Heisman candidate, you know, probably going to be a top five pick in this year's draft. Yeah, A lot of people have him as the number one quarterback, which is nuts considering Bryce Young and what he's done coming off the Heisman season. But I think you you give the guy any time and he really doesn't need it with how athletic he is. He's just going to be even more dangerous. So they're the clear-cut champion, in my opinion. Coming out of the other side, I've got Iowa. Iowa, um, I like Iowa. Iowa's, Iowa's a good pick to me. I feel like they're also very Wisconsin-esque when it comes to gritty football. They've got a 1,200-yard rusher coming back. Um, he also caught 31 passes for 250 yards and a touchdown. They're bringing back a lot of guys, and that's kind of the reason why I've got them up there. I've got the numbers in front of me. Iowa, I'll just read this to you straight off the rip. Among Big Ten teams, Iowa has the most returning starters. Okay. Take a look at the returning starters on Big Ten teams, and Iowa is tied for the most returning starters with 17. Dang, um, okay. So you talk about a team that had a good squad last year. I know Iowa's Iowa. They're not, you know, the, they're not Ohio State. They're not Alabama. They're not UGA. But um, when you talk about uh, a, a division like you've got out there and, and the teams that you've got to compete with, um, they've got a really good shot. They're matching up in the Western Division with Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Purdue, and Wisconsin. So if I'm going to give a number two, I'm undoubtedly going to give it to Wisconsin. Um, I give Iowa the edge just because of the experience. And like we said with the ACC, when you're playing in a weaker conference and a weaker schedule, I think experience really matters. They might not win in flashy fashion or in crazy fashion like uh, you know, like these SEC teams will or like Ohio State, who's going to go out there and score a million points on you. Um, but I think experience really comes into play here. So 17 starters coming back, including a stud running back, um, I think it's a big deal. So I'm giving them the nod out there in the West saying that they're going to clinch that up and meet Ohio State in the championship. And um, Ohio State might win by 30, but uh, I've got Ohio State winning it. Okay, yeah, I, I can agree with that. One thing about Ohio State that I also want to mention is, along with C.J. Stroud, they also bring back uh, their number one back last year, Travion Henderson, and their number one wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba. So, you know, Ohio State's also bringing back almost all their offensive firepower. And another thing with Ohio State, um, 
I think their defense gave up around like 22 points per game last year, which is, you know, pretty meager. Like it's, it's not the best. Uh, I think they were pretty much middle pack big 10 defense. Cause you know, they had the guys like Iowa, the Wisconsin's that were out there giving up like 200 yards a game, something crazy. But, uh, they did bring I in, think they'll be better. Yeah, they, they have a ton of talent. Like, the talent and the potential is there for sure. And uh, they got a new defensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator uh, Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State ranked fourth in the nation last year in yards per game. So, defensive defensive yards given up per game, I should say. So, I mean, if you want somebody to bring it, fix the situation to go along with Ryan Day, then, you know, you're getting two, like, you're getting an offensive mastermind and a defensive mastermind right there next to each other. So, it, they, I think they should be a really, really dominant team this coming up season. Agree, and I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, excuse me, is um, I think he's the best receiver in college football. I think he's my number one guy, and yeah, I think it's I think pretty so clear too. cut at this point. So I think that's going to be a dangerous duo, especially when you compound that with uh, is it Marvin Harrison Jr.? Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. And a stud offensive line, and obviously that quarterback. I think they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be a team that that's super scary, especially if they can get a handle on the defense. So yeah, watch out for Ohio State this year. Okay, okay, we go with the Big Ten. Big Ten breakdown. I'm good. All right, you want Pac-12 or Big 12? We got two to pick from. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the Big 12. All right, Big 12. Okay, so if Big 12 is not separated among two different divisions. Correct. So my top seed, I picked top seed and second seed. Uh, the teams I have playing in the championship, I have Oklahoma playing Texas. Um, I do have Oklahoma winning that game. Oklahoma's my pick to win it. Um, you want to do it like we just did the last one? Sure. All right, go ahead. Get, let me let me hear yours. We can kind of do like a little duo breakdown right here. So I'm with you on Texas. I've got Texas up there. Uh, a key point for me um, in Texas is they're bringing, you know, Quinn Ewers is, is it seems like, at least, you know, from camp, and this is subject to change um, is, as practice goes, but at the current point in time, he's got the nod uh, at the starting job. Um, I'm a pretty big Quinn Ewers guy. Obviously, he's a stud. Dude went to Ohio State, made all the money in the world, and then went back home to Texas like a pimp. So, oh, yeah. um you know, props to him, but dude is a freak. He, you saw him with the mullet, the bleach tear, throwing sidearm passes in the Elite 11. He's obviously got all the talent in the world. So if he can put it together and, and, and that Texas team, I'm not super high on Texas as a whole. I'll be honest with you. I think, I think they've, they've got a good program and I think they're on the uptrend, but I do think they're, they're a little bit away. Um, but as far as the quarterback goes, Quinn Ewers, I think is a dog. Um, now, I've got them matching up with Baylor. I've got Baylor as the number one seed coming out of the Big 12. Okay. Um, the only reason for that is they're bringing back a ton of starters. You know, I, I'm big I'm big on returning starters, as you guys can tell. This is what I've been talking about this whole time, specifically in the weaker conferences. And the Big 12, either way you look at it, is a weaker conference with teams like Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State. Uh, you got Oklahoma. You got Oklahoma State, who are, you know, two, you know, you know, a little bit higher uh, uh, up as far as that conference goes. But then you got the TCUs, the Texas Techs, and the West Virginias. And and I don't think you're going to see much out of them. Um, I've got Baylor going. I think they're going to repeat. They won it last year. They've got a good team. They're bringing back 14 starters, uh, which I think is going to be pretty significant. Yeah. Um, so I've got them matching up with Texas, and I do have Baylor winning it. Okay, so I I will read you. I Like I said, I had wrote notes down, like straight okay. up, like talking point notes. I will read you my exact like exactly what I wrote down. This was a super hard conference for me to only pick two teams. I feel like the Big 12 features four teams that can make a push. My gut feeling was telling me Oklahoma State, but they lost so much this offseason. Baylor is also a very good football team, but I just have a feeling with Mr. Steve Sarkeesian, them Longhorns. Uh, but even how, how strong that feeling is, uh, I'm going Oklahoma. Oklahoma did lose Lincoln Riley. They lost Caleb Williams. They lost Spencer Rattler, but 
and this is something I've, I have went so back and forth on because I don't know how this is this is one of those wild card ones for me uh I don't know how Brett Venables is going to do at Oklahoma. Oklahoma has so much defensive improvement they need to make to actually be like a top-tier college football team again. And if you want defensive improvement, we talked about Venables earlier. Venables is the guy you want in the building. And I'm trying to figure it out, is it going to be like a Kirby Smart-type change that takes over in, in Oklahoma? Or is it going to be like a guy that's there for three years and is gone? So, you know, I'm, I'm still on edge about that, but my gut feeling saying, okay, Venable's going to come and he's going to take over. Um, you do have a downgrade. Caleb Williams is obviously probably a top three quarterback in football, and he's probably three behind CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. But I mean, Dylan Gabriel is, is, is a very serviceable quarterback. And if you look at how, how Oklahoma has ran their offense in the past, uh, you know, I, I think that he could be a guy that could fit well in that system. Um, he obviously can move around a good bit. He has a solid arm. He can make, he can make most throws you need him to make. Uh, but we're talking about guys that you lose. That's one problem with Oklahoma. Oklahoma is losing Kennedy Brooks, their leading rusher last year. And, you know, the defense just needs so much improvement. So it's a big ask for Venables to go over there and make such a change. But I'm confident in it. And uh, I'm happy to see that you had put Texas as high as I did because I am rooting for Texas. It's funny because now I'm thinking about it, I put the two teams that are going to the SEC in a couple of years. Well, look, that's just even more of a reason why it's different down here, man. It's just different, you know. We different down here. You know, Mr. Sarkeesian about to about to about to run them Longhorns, and Mr. Crane Ewers about about to make win the national championship. I'm gonna be here to play big boy ball. Big boy ball. Okay, so we got Pac-12 last team, right? Yeah, Our Pac last 12. conference, I should say. Everybody, and everybody loves talk about the Pac-12. All right, Kenny, we could we could say this at the same time because I believe we I believe we probably picked the same teams. Uh, I've got USC and Oregon. I have USC and Oregon, and the winner is drumroll, please. USC, right? Okay. Nice. Okay, I'll get my little breakdown of USC, then I'll, I'll let you hop on and uh, and and say what you want to say. So to me, the Pac-12. I'm not really super high on Oregon. Oregon's returning a lot of starters. Uh, but um, I had mentioned it earlier. I know that uh, Georgia's defensive coordinator last year is now Oregon's uh, head coach. But honestly, a team that's led by Bo Nix never scares me. <laughs> I, I maybe that's my Georgia fan bias coming in, but uh, it just it's it's not too scary to me. Um, as we know, the Pac-12, USC and Utah are my two teams that I look at to be like legit contenders. And it just so happens they both play in the South. So I obviously had to pick one of them. Um, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, they both leave Oklahoma to join USC together, which is really nice. They also got a really, really big wide receiver transfer from Pittsburgh, Jordan Addison, which is going to be a huge pickup, a huge target for Caleb Williams to have. Um, on the offensive side, on the offensive line, they're bringing back four starters and, uh, will probably be the best in the Pac-12 is what I'm hearing. A lot of people are saying that USC's offensive line might be the best in the Pac-12. Um, yep. their high, their offense is going to be really, really high powered, but their defense was so atrocious last year. That's one thing that does scare me. Um, they did bring in a new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, which I'm curious to see. And hopefully he can change the defense dramatic, uh, drastically. Um, there is a guarantee for me right here. I will make a guarantee lock on this podcast right here. They will they will be better than their four and eight record last year. Yeah, that's a guaranteed lock from yours truly. Yeah, that that's a lock for me. Four and eight last year, they they will improve. Yeah, let's put a whole unit on that one, boys. But really, my my main reason is I feel like in a conference like that, that is mostly offense. Um, a quarterback like Caleb Williams is. 
going to run show over there and pretty much destroy anything that's in his path. I'm not a big fan of the Pac-12, so let's go with the no. team with the best quarterback. Hey, amen. I mean, no one's big on the Pac-12, I don't think, but we love it because those those long Saturdays of watching ball when you're winding down, you're sitting on the couch, and you're thinking, hmm, what am I going to do now? I'm all wired up after watching UGA stomp Tennessee by 40 points. So. I've drank, I've drank, drank 15 Miller Lights and three glasses of whiskey today, so, you know. Yeah, I've drank, I've drank 20 beers. I'm back at the house. What am I going to do? Oh, wow, look at that. Arizona State's playing UCLA. It's midnight. Let's tune this one in. Let's, yeah. let's put a four, let's put a $40 bet on the, on the spread. Yeah. Let's bet everything, every which way in this game and lose all of our money because we have no clue what we're talking about. That's the pack 12 for me. And I love it because of that. So, um, you know, obviously we've got the same teams between USC and Oregon. Um, I, I'll tell you a, a key factor is Oregon. Like you said, they're returning a lot of talent. They're bringing back 14 starters, um, which is big. They do have the new coaching staff in there with Dan Landing. They had the whole thing with crystal ball go down. So I think they're probably in a little bit of a weird state right now. I've got a pr- I've got pretty high confidence that Georgia's going to handle those boys week one. Um, I- I'm not worried about that at all. So it's I Bo do, Nicks, I do man. not it's Bo think. Nicks. Yeah, and look, you know, Bo Nix is Bo Nix. You know, he he is a uh, he he's a hard nosed guy, and um, unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to put it together. And you know, I'm not going to be the one to say that he's not going to because he very well could. But if you know trends show us anything, it's that you know he's going to be Bo Nix, and he's going to go out there and he's going to play the ball he does. And while it might be fun to watch, and it might be Carson Wentz esque. The dude um, has had a hard time winning key games and big games. So, does it change? I don't know. But you know, Oregon bringing back fourteen starters is a key piece to that team. Um, I do not think they're a great team by any means. I, I really don't. But um, with the way the division lines up, the conference lines up, I do think they're probably going to get that number two spot, and they're going to meet USC. And and I do. Give the edge to USC by a pretty significant margin. I think USC wins it. I think they win it in 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 pretty uh, in pretty wide fashion. If I were to say so myself. Um, and like you said, yeah, does, is the defense kind of lackluster for sure? But if Lincoln Riley has showed us anything, it's that if you've got a high powered offense and you bring a guy like Caleb Williams in and the other transfers that came along with him, if anybody can outrun a bad defense, it's going to be him. So I don't know if they'll make a push for a natty. I'm not thinking that they're going to be too competitive, but as far as the regular season goes and win records and, and, and getting up in there into the postseason as far as the playoff goes, I think they've probably got as good a shot as anybody, especially when you're considering the, the lower-tier conferences. So, yeah, USC for me, I agree with you all day long. You know what What you said right there about uh you know making a run into the playoffs right there? Uh, I feel like that was an alley-oop, like a, like a Trey Young to DeJounte Murray off the backboard, John Collins slamming it home, Atlanta-style alley-oop for me because da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, look at the screen change. Now we're talking about I some... I love uh, to see it. Now we're talking about some college football playoff predictions. It's so funny because, honestly, we just talk so much about all these teams, and we've made it this far into the podcast that... uh. I, I won't have too much left to say about them, but at least it's fun to get our initial thoughts on it. On um, you know, I I'm looking at it now and I see some differences we have. We have three of the same four teams, but you know that two seed, that two seed is 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 a little bit questionable. And for people on the podcast, I know we'll have to go and uh you know talk it through. So, Kenny, I'll I'll let you lead the way on this one. I know I led the way on the uh, I started off all the what's it called ones. So I'll let you go ahead and you know give me your little college football player prediction. So I've got some pretty good ranking breakdowns for these teams. Um, 
I'll probably, if it's all right with you, Jake, I'll save that for the end, and I'll let us let's just run through who we think's going to make it and what we think it's going to pan out to first. Does that does that work with you? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So at the number one seed, I've got Alabama. Now the teams are obviously in order of what we think it's going to shape up to when it comes into play. So I've got Bama at one. Like I said, the vinegar in the mouth, the taste is horrible. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So I've got them there for the reasons that have been previously mentioned. Um, at number two, I've got Ohio State. And the only reason I've got them there is because I think if you've got a late season loss for a team like Georgia, like we saw last year in the SEC championship, they're probably going to give a team like Ohio State the two spot because uh, of obvious of obvious reasons. So, um, so you put Ohio State in two. I've got Georgia at three. I've got USC at four. This shapes up for a pretty eventful playoff because you see a matchup there that's just gleaming right at you between Ohio State and Georgia. And to me, that's got me salivating. I'd love to see something like that. You're talking about high-powered offense, good offensive line, upcoming defense, not the best, versus a team that's bringing back you know, a good bit uh, on offense. You've got the weapons. We've got Stetson Bennett, Stequavius, excuse me. Um, <laughs> Stequavius Bennett back there tossing the pill around. The mailman, he always delivers, and he's on time. Um, you've got the running game that's going to be ridiculous. The receivers, like we mentioned, the tight ends, which are absurd. Offensive line, bringing back some studs. And the defense, which you know we, we'll get into more in, in other podcasts, but uh, against the narrative that Georgia's lost everybody, I think we're bringing back a pretty good squad. So as far as the matchup between those teams go, man, that could be a absolute barn burner. Um, you're talking about Every way that these teams match up is perfect for the other team. So I'd love to see that. And then you've got the Alabama-USC matchup, which I think is going to be an absolute... Oh, I mean, I think USC will get dog-walked by maybe 30 points. Um, Yeah. And then I think we'll see a rematch in the Natty, Bama-Georgia, and, you know, dogs are going to bring it home. All right, that, that that's a good breakdown, uh, Kenny. So we have one major difference. I'm going to run through mine first, and we can talk about our difference. Uh, So I have Georgia being the number one seed, obviously, because I had picked them to win the SEC championship. I think whoever wins the SEC championship will be number one because I think I'm, – I'm confident that Georgia and Alabama both have a really, really good shot uh, of being um undefeated going into the SEC championship. Now, anything can happen. Obviously, we saw last year Alabama got knocked out by A&M. Uh, but you look at the schedules, I don't see a game on neither of them schedules where, especially Georgia's side, I don't see a game where Georgia will be favored by less than 10 points. Like, Georgia's, I think the early, what is the early spread for the Oregon-Georgia game? Like, 17 or something stupid? Uh, I believe it was 14 and a half. I could be wrong. I'll check on it right now and let you keep going. Okay, so if Georgia's favored by 14 and a half on Oregon, then I don't I don't think it gets much lower than that. Uh, So I think, I think Georgia... I'm picking them to be Alabama. I mean, honestly, it's a toss-up. I can't go against what Kenny said because if Georgia loses to Alabama, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be Georgia three, Alabama four. Obviously, they're not going to drop Georgia to four and let Alabama be one because they're not going to let Georgia and Alabama play back-to-back games. Um, I have Clemson number two. The main reason I picked Clemson over Ohio State and it it was honestly hard is because I feel like Clemson just schedule. Like I feel like the scheduling if Clemson is that top-tier team I was talking about earlier. And I feel like Clemson could go undefeated throughout the whole year like they used to with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and all those guys. And I feel like that just drops them right in there at the number two spot. And honestly, they might take the number one spot. Who knows? Um, all right, Jake, it's 17 and a half. So 17 and a half on Oregon? Yeah, I don't see it getting much lower than that. So, I mean, yeah. so Georgia is 17 and a half on Oregon. I don't know if they'll have a lower point spread than that all season long. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I agree. 
So we have um, Alabama at number three. The main reason to put Alabama at three, obviously. Same thing that Kenny said, just vice versa. I think that Alabama loses to Georgia, but I think they go into the SEC championship undefeated. And guess what? Even if Alabama already has a loss in the season and still loses the SEC championship, they will still make the college football playoff because it is Alabama. And the people, the playoff committee loves to put Alabama in there no matter what the record states. Um, yeah, d does not matter because they came out last year and said that it doesn't matter what your record is. It matters the quality of your wins. Even though you lo lost to Zach Calzada and them A&M boys, we don't care. We'll put you in there. Even though, I mean, they did beat George, so I can't say much. Um, you know, we'll go down to, uh, then we'll go down to USC. Um, obviously I think USC and the USC in the conference, and this is, this is bold. I left Ohio State out, but I put USC in. I have a fear that Ohio State could lose two or three games this year and it can definitely happen you see it year in year out and it, it's it's not because they're a bad team at all it's just that they did it last year and i don't see much improvement off of last year is is, is if, if that defense doesn't take that next step then they will be almost the same team they were last year and they had a couple losses last year so that that's my thinking of ohio state and clemson was the same way so clemson is I'm just banking on DJ coming out and balling out and taking that Clemson team to that next level. Because, I mean, like you said, their season last year was a lot better than what a lot of people said it was. 100%. So, I mean, that's that's pretty much my breakdown. Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, and USC for me. And uh, we're talking about what, what's going to happen. Um, I'm going the same route. Georgia is going to absolutely dog walk uh, USC. Uh, Caleb Williams, you're going to have a lot of fun out there in Utah and Oregon and all them boys. But as soon as you play the big boys, uh, good luck. Because... That offensive line, whenever you have uh, Jalen Carter running up the middle, getting seven sacks on you in one game is not going to be fun. Um, Clemson, Alabama. Now, this is going to be the same route I took earlier. If Clemson is the Clemson team I am thinking they could be, I think this game could actually be pretty competitive. Whether you put Clemson in this situation or or Ohio State in this situation, it is going to be a very competitive game. These are legit football teams when they are real. Like these are not teams that are like the USC, the Notre Dame's of college football. These are teams that are in the same caliber as Georgia and Alabama when they are on. So you never really know what's going to go in there. Uh, gut feeling is Alabama. Um, Alabama. It's just hard to pick against them unless you're picking the Bulldogs. Obviously, reigning national champs, best team in college football. So I mean, it makes sense there. So I I will also pick a rematch, and it's kind of a lame thing to say because obviously the likely scenario is we're not going to get a rematch. But, I mean, there's there's a good shot. Eh? If, if if the cards fall right, we're getting a rematch. So, I'm going to go with it. And, uh, yeah, you know, Stetson or Stiquavy, what did you say? What's the name? Yes. Yeah, he's he's going to uh, win Heisman this year. He's going to pass 50 touchdown passes. Uh, everybody's talking about C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young being number one overall pick. Yeah, look out. He's on the way. Mailman is delivering. So, Kenny, I know. Throw for three thousand yards in a season since Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray, and that that is that is the Georgia great. Um, put the money on it now. I mean, can he have uh, unpopular opinions on former Georgia quarterbacks that played here and made it to big games? So we're not going to mention because I know a lot of Georgia fans would hate us. And uh, so Stetson Bennett is the second best quarterback behind Aaron Murray, guaranteed. Yep, guaranteed. All right, so I have a couple rankings I wanted to get into just to do a little breakdown over the boys I've got in my top four real quick before we head out of here, if that's good with you. That is good with me. I have already cleared everything I want to say because I don't have no – all my notes are cleared. So I'll let you finish this out and get your rankings in. We can do a little outro and get out of here. All right, I was saving my juice for the end. So here we go. So what I did – for y'all boys today is I wanted to do a little poll. And now the little poll that I wanted to do is you, you college football is very subjective. 
Um, and it's very subjective from a standpoint of region, who you're reporting on, where the reports are coming from, and who you're listening to. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to a Midwest reporter or you know sports documenting company, I guess you could say, analyst if you want to call them, um, they're going to have a little bit more you know, high-end teams or players or rankings for, you know, Midwestern teams, Big Ten teams than you are if you're in the Southeast. Obviously, if it's a Southeast team or a Southeast reporter or whatever you want to call it, you're going to get all SEC. So what I've done is I've gone through, I've looked at different rankings. I've looked at coach rankings. I've looked at team rankings. I've looked at, um, like, PFF rankings, other rankings that are out there, and kind of done an average of what I've seen out there from top 10 position groups throughout college football. And I don't mean position groups in a specific team, but throughout the country. So I'm talking top 10 quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends, all the way down the board. Okay. So what I've got for you here is my four teams. Obviously, I've got Bam, Ohio State, Georgia, USC. Um, So pretty interesting numbers here, I think, and I want to see what you think about it. Okay, go ahead. So these are returning players that are top 10 in their position throughout the entire country, regardless of classification. Um, leading the nation in returning players in the top 10 of their position is UGA. We are returning eight players to the team this year that are top 10 in their specific position among all college football, which is nuts. Wait, wait, wait. Can you, that, that can't be possible. Georgia's, Georgia's destined for a fall off this year though. Yeah. I I lost everybody. We're in a rebuild. I saw it all over Twitter. Like it, is is Twitter lying to me? Because I, I I've heard that Georgia's destined for a fall off. Like we lost we lost all the starters. We, this can't be possible. Oh, I mean you're absolutely right. And everything you read on the internet, unfortunately, is true. So yeah, I mean Georgia's gonna go six and six. Especially Florida fans down there saying that uh saying that uh AR15 is gonna lead them to the uh, SEC East Championship. So you know that's probably the majority of people tweeting that because I think majority of football fans know. Which I'm gonna say this, and it's not really true because. I've seen like people on pretty big platforms talking about how Georgia's gonna have a fall off this year, and uh, I, they're just wrong. It, it's not going to happen. If you watch college football, you should know that Georgia's not going anywhere anytime soon. Look, if you're thinking that, because when you come down to Athens and you meet the boys in Sanford Stadium, you're in for a rude awakening. And between the hedges, you. baby. I'm telling you, man. So, and I'll tell you why Georgia's not going to fall off. Eight returning players in the top ten of their respective positions, and I'll, I've I've got lists here. Rock Bowers, obviously, he is yep. the number one tight end in college football. Arik Gilbert is the number three ranked tight end in college football among all platforms. Let's go. Darnell Washington is the number nine tight end in college football among all among all reporters. Jalen Carter is unanimously the number one interior defensive lineman in college football this year. Nolan Smith is nearly unanimously the number two edge rusher in all of college football this year, among all reporters. Keely Ringo, number two corner returning in college football among all classifications. Tyke Smith, the number two safety returning in college football. Chris Smith. And Chris Smith, the number six safety returning in college football. That's nuts. So you talk about the strengths of the team. The defensive line, we've got two players on this D-line that are in the top 10 of their position. Defensive backs, we've got three that are in the top 10 of their position. And obviously, the tight end room, we've got three in the top 10 of their position as well. Um, So that's crazy to think about. Now, second in the entire country in returning players in the top 10 is Ohio State. They've got seven. I believe Um, 
this is crazy to think because I got on the O-line train a little bit earlier talking about how I think they're probably going to have the best offensive line in college football, at least as far as the rankings go. They've got three offensive linemen ranked in the top 10 in their individual positions, Ooh. which is crazy. Yes, yeah, that's, that's nice. Um, so starting it off, C.J. Stroud, among all platforms, which is a little bit of a surprise, is the number fourth ranked quarterback in the entire country. Yeah, um, I, have, I have a question. Do you have two and three? I'm assuming one is Bryce. Is, do you have like all of it? I do. I do. Um, number one is Bryce. Number two is Caleb Williams. And number three against everything I love and stand for is Spencer Rattler. Okay. 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 Got you. I have to, I have to so, kind of breathe that in for a second, but I, I got you. Yeah. Obviously, we do not agree, but this is across all platforms. This is an average of everybody reporting. I've okay. got CJ Stroud at four. Um, going into the season, obviously, that's going to change. You see the NFL reports where he's, you know, could be the number one quarterback taken, but NFL scouts they look at things a little bit different a little bit so as far as college football goes cj stroud we just hit on it number four ranked quarterback across all platforms jackson smith and jigba is unanimously the number one receiver in college football for sure dewan jones he is the third ranked offensive tackle in all of college football he plays right tackle i put a little star here because i wanted to note that this man is six foot eight 365 pounds absolute units uh i mean you talk about a guy that's first off the bus. Like, if this dude's not coming off the bus first, I mean, you talk about an intimidating factor. This dude is an absolute mauler. So, third-ranked offensive tackle in the country. He plays right tackle specifically. Paris Johnson Jr., sixth-ranked offensive tackle in the country. He plays left tackle. He played right guard last year, which is pretty interesting to me. Um, and you talk about Dewan Jones like we just did. He did a little bit of moving back between right tackle and left tackle throughout the year, but he's really solidified himself in that right tackle spot. And um, they've already confirmed from camp and from from everyone out there in Ohio State that DeW that um, Paris Johnson he's going to slide out there to left tackle and stay there full time this year. No more interior for him. I want to say so one thing right quick. Uh, that that's very similar to Jamari Sawyer because I want to say Jamari Sawyer mm -hmm. played uh, right guard for a while at Georgia until his last year at Georgia, and then he moved over to left tackle. So I mean, it's it's definitely something that could be successful. Another thing, it's a pretty similar to Tate Ratledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess college football is kind of one of those things where guys kind of slide where they can fill in. So it makes sense. Yeah, you just you put him in where you can. So he solidified himself in that left tackle spot. So these dudes are obviously loaded at the tackles. Um, Luke Weipler, he is the number five ranked interior offensive lineman in college football. He's a starting center out there. Um, Zach Harrison, he's their edge rusher. He's the number seven ranked edge rusher in the country. And Travion Henderson is the number fourth ranked running back across all platforms. So. Uh, strengths there for Ohio State, offensive line, obviously, I think is going to be the strong point of their team. And then their skill positions. Um, you're bringing back a guy like C.J. Stroud. You're bringing back the receiver group they got with, with Njigba and bringing in a guy like Marvin Harrison. Obviously, they're studs. And then you bring back the running backs. So they're going to be very versatile on offense. Oh, yeah. Um, number three in the country and returning players in the top ten is Bama with six. Um, strengths of the team I've got noted here is the defensive back and quarterback room and the only reason i put quarterback room is because in my opinion bryce young is undoubtedly the best quarterback in college football he won the heisman for god's sakes like if you don't if you don't think he's the best quarterback in college football then you might not know ball not know ball um so obviously bryce young he is unanimously the number one quarterback ranked among all platforms uh jameer gibbs is the number eight ranked running back across all platforms georgia tech legend yep georgia tech guy Nice. Um, Will Anderson, obviously, is the number one edge rusher. Um, he is probably the number one draft prospect, depending on who you ask. Uh, among all platforms, it's kind of looking like Will Anderson is there. I've been 
you know, seeing a lot of things saying, you know, from this year and last year that he probably would have been taken number one overall, especially this past year with with the weak draft class that we did have. There's not going to be uh, a team that passes on him at number one. I can go ahead and say that now. He will yeah. be the number one overall pick for sure. Eli Eli Ricks, uh, he's the number one ranked corner in, in, among all platforms in college okay. football. That a little bit of surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Here's a little bit of a surprise too. Jordan Battle. I know he slipped down a little bit later on in the season and a lot of people's rankings. He's the number third, the number three, I should say, ranked safety in all of college football. Okay. And then Malachi Moore at the other safety. He's number nine. Cool. So obviously the strengths there are the defensive back group and the quarterback. And then rounding it out with USC, they are fourth in the country. So it just lined up. And, and I, to be completely honest with you, I had these top four in there before I read this. So this just made me feel even better. Um, USC is fourth in the country in returning starters in the top 10. They have four. Um, the quarterback, Caleb Williams, is number two, like we just mentioned. Okay. Um, among all platforms, number number two ranked quarterback in the country. Mario Williams is the number six ranked receiver among all platforms in the country. Andrew Voorhees is the number two ranked offensive tackle in all platforms across the country. He is uh, their left tackle. So he he's a stud. He's going to be probably a, a top 10 prospect come up this draft if he has the type of season I'm expecting him to have. And then uh, Brett Nealon, he is the number eight ranked interior offensive lineman in the country. He's their center. Okay. So the strengths for the team are the O-line, and I, I put uh, in my strengths for the team the conference that they're in. Yes, I, I, I can agree with that 100%. I think they have an easier route than anybody else in the Power, in the power 5 conferences. Yeah, 100%. So that's, that's a little bit of breakdown on why I picked the guys that I did. Um, and, and why I felt kind of solidified in that. And, and that's just, you know, another thing to think about. These teams are returning some studs. So either way you look at it, you talk about UGA with eight, Bama with six, Ohio State with seven, USC with four. These are guys that are not just in the conference, not just on the team, not just in the division. They're not regional rankings. This is among everybody. This is every platform you read, every reporter you see it from. This is an average of what everybody thinks of these guys. And these teams are loaded. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, I mean, those, these aren't just guys that are ret- like returning starters. That is the term that a lot of people use. These are guys that are returning starters at a top tier level, top top of their position group. So, I mean, that's like that's definitely meaningful numbers right there. Absolutely. And, and that's it for me, man. Is that it for you? Uh, So, like we said, we can go through another little breakdown of the rankings. Georgia, for me, Georgia's one, Clemson's two, Bama's three, and USC is four. Just for the podcast, people, Kenny, you want to go give your last little? Yep. For me, I've got Bama at one, Ohio State at two, UGA at three, uh, USC at four. Obviously, Jake and I both have UGA winning it all in a rematch against Bama and the Natty. That is a fact. So, we just – there it was. I just told you I say that too much. um so you know we had a great time man this this was we talk about getting these podcast times down and then we come out of here and talk for an hour and 50 minutes when it feels like it's been 25 i feel like we were just now talking about spencer strider (laughs) pitching so college football might have taken over this podcast (laughs) yeah we'll narrow it down a little bit for y'all boys out there listening and girls um but we're we're excited to be here we're super enthusiastic and um you know we're not the type that are going to come out here and try and chop up and give you these short stints to get out as much stuff as we can we're going to come out here and talk ball whether that be baseball football basketball whatever it is we'll even get into a little horse racing if you want to i don't care cornhole i love Um, love the cornhole on espn too big fan 
Yeah, what's well, all set in there? Um, so no, man, we're just excited to talk ball, regardless of what it is. So if we get out here and have a little bit of a longer episode, I apologize. Take up your sweet precious time. But if you enjoy it, be sure to check us out on all the socials. Give us a follow. Give us a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube and uh, check us out. We're excited to bring y'all some more content and dive into it as the uh, seasons progress. I think that, I think that was a good outro, Kitty. What? Uh, let's go ahead and talk about it on live. When do you think we're gonna be able to pump another episode out? Give it, give a little preview. Uh, think about like Monday. Man, I'm in. We're headed into the weekend. We like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've got a huge series coming up against the Mets. So I say we get in there, see what we've got going on with them. Hopefully, we come back in, sweep the rest of the series, and uh, enter back in on Monday. Uh, with the Monday episode being half a game back. Is that we're we're four we're three and a half now after the win tonight? So three more wins. Well, we'll be half a game back coming in. We'll be ready to talk some more baseball with y'all. Yeah, let's sweep them out and get back to it on Monday. Well, all right, guys. See you. That's it. We appreciate y'all. Oh yeah.